Happy Halloween, and welcome to episode 74 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izzigari. And for the third time ever on this podcast, uh, film guys and co-founder Caleb DeJay has joined us. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. You know, it's spooky month. And yeah. Enjoying that. Finally out here in Virginia, moving to my apartment with Josh Jamal. So a lot of exciting stuff is happening. Oh, man. I'm super excited for this because, uh, yeah, when uh, a podcast of any of ours falls on Halloween, it's definitely a chance to do something special and on Oscar Sunday uh, you know, the Academy is full of, full of shit and uh, does not nominate or give awards out enough to the horror genre. So got to take advantage of this uh, with the few movies that they have uh, kind of shine a light on. Uh, of course, we'll be giving awards out to Rosemary's baby at the very end of the show. Uh, we'll look a little bit at the 41st Academy Awards just for a little bit of fun. We'll talk about the individuals that worked on Rosemary's Baby and the ones that have uh, Academy recognition. But first, I want to take it back to our Toy Story episode and do a little do a little tournament. Uh, when we did that episode, we took it upon ourselves to talk a bunch about pretty much every Pixar movie. And we did a bracket and I had you guys vote on it. We're going to do something similar here, except it's a bit more... Uh, bit more challenging with the with the lack of again recognition that the horror genre has gotten uh 18 movies you could say 20 depending on how you look at genre have gotten oscar wins uh horror movies have gotten oscar wins uh i sent you guys a list of the movies to see which ones you guys have seen you sent me back a text uh and with the ones i've also seen there's a total of 13 and i you know, uh, found a bracket. It's not very easy to do a bracket of 13. It's usually easier to do with uh, like an even amount, but I wanted to include all of them. <clears throat> so I seeded them from one to 13, and this is how I figure that out. So uh, we'll start with the one seed, Silence of the Lambs. Obviously a, a, a big, big, big movie all across the board. And when it comes to the Academy, one of the most important movies in their existence. Uh, it won the big five, you know, uh, a, a thing that only it... Uh, has done along with uh, one from the cuckoo's nest and uh, it happened one night. Uh, so that's just three times. And it's, you know, almost a hundred year history. Uh, it gets the one seed because of that. And also because it got a bunch of other nominations, it got seven total nominations and five wins. So what I did was I gave three points for a win and one point for a regular nomination. So it gets a total of 17 points and it's the one seed. The two seed is parasite. Uh, another best picture winner that I, I would I would say has a lot of horror elements and I wanted to include it in here. Uh, it got 14 points off of four wins and a total of six nominations. Uh, the three seed is The Exorcist. Two wins on 10 nominations. Uh, pretty impressive for the 70s. Uh, the fourth seed would be Aliens from 1986. 11 points because it got two wins on seven nominations. The number five seed is Jaws, maybe the best movie of all time, uh, has 10 points with three wins on four nominations. Uh, the sixth seed, Black Swan, 
uh, got a huge win for Natalie Portman, uh, got just that one win, but also four other nominations. So that's seven points. Uh, let's see. Number seven is Get Out. One of the best modern uh, horror movies, in my opinion. Uh, got one win on four nominations. That's six points. Uh, number eight, Sleepy Hollow, 1999. Uh, underrated, uh, underrated film, I would say. Uh, got five points, one win on three nominations. Uh, then Alien is the number nine seed from 1979. Absolute classic. Uh, four points, one win on two nominations. Definitely should have got more. Uh, number 10 seed is The Omen from 1976. Another just absolute classic in the horror genre. Four points with one win on two nominations. Love that movie. So much fun to talk about. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, our, our title, you know, our, the film that we're going to be talking about most today is The Eleven Seed. Uh, it also got one win on two, two nominations, so that's only four points. Uh, the 12 seed is Amer An American Werewolf in London, uh, a Connor classic. Uh, <laughs> that one's great. It got just one win and one nomination, so it gets three points. And then the final seed would be The Fly from 1986. Also, one win on one nomination, so that's three points. So, gentlemen, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, let's talk about this first matchup, which would be the sixth seed versus the 11 seed, Black Swan versus Rosemary's Baby. Caleb, I'll let you vote first. That's a tough one. Because uh, you have one film that, admittedly, I first watched purely for the much-talked-about uh, scene with her and Mila Kunis, yeah, um, but end up actually really liking the movie, and then you have Rosemary's Baby, which I didn't hate it at first, but the second watch I really turned around on. Um, I think I'm gonna have to edge it out to Rosemary's Baby. I'm gonna have to go for Rosemary's Baby on this one. Okay, and and when was the first time you saw it? Years ago, back when I was in middle school. Wow. Okay, so yeah. it took you took you coming all the way back around to now. They're rewatching it. And now you like it a bit more. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Connor, what's your vote? Hmm. Black Swan, I watched for the first time when I was doing a complete rundown of the 2010s um, Best Picture nominees uh, for a show earlier this year. And then Rosemary's Baby, I first watched uh, when we were doing our Roman Polanski uh, Weird Shit Wednesday in the early days of the Filmgasm podcast. So both these are fairly recent acquisitions of mine uh black swan i don't know if i'd necessarily agree that it's a horror movie it's, okay i think it's psychologically disturbing at times i i don't know if i'd go so far as to label it horror but that's just me yeah you know what's crazy is i i agree with you i think it has horror elements to it but this movie was listed on more oscar winning horror movies than parasite and that just that didn't sit totally well with me. <laughs> I, I have similar thoughts regarding Parasite, but I'll, I'll say that when we get to that. But I'm going to give this to Rosemary's Baby as well. I, th I just think Rosemary's Baby has such an air of menace about it that is so smart. And the more you watch it, the more you kind of are thinking like, is this real? Is she losing her mind? Like what, what is really happening here can kind of change mm. depending on how you're watching the movie. And I think that's just brilliant. So I'm, I'm going to give it to Rosemary. Yeah, and when was your first time seeing it, Rosemary? Uh, when we did the Rome Polanski episode. Okay, that was that's right. A couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is a movie I watched uh, just to kind of, same thing as, as uh, Caleb, where I just kind of got sick of hearing so much about it. And I had done some of my own research about 
Polanski, the the monster. Uh, and yeah, the first time I watched it, I was a little bit underwhelmed, but then I rewatched it pretty quickly after that and found things that I hadn't seen before. And now I'm kind of in love with it. I do find it hilarious that me, who's usually the most divisive and judgy of horror films, was the only person who was immediately on board with this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was clouded. I was clouded by my Polanski uh, feelings. I'll just say that. Yeah, I get it. It's hard to move past that shit once you hear what happened. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it, yeah. And, and just and just this stuff in the film, you know, uh, you're like, wait a minute. This 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 is fucked up. Yeah, I'll give you credit. The second watch is a real thing because I think having seen a lot more movies, embracing a lot more of like, guys going to things like Black Swan, like, yeah, I'm with you guys. It's much more horror elements. I want to say necessarily full on horror. It's very logical. But just seeing kind of films like that and what you can do with, you know, horror and really understanding it better when I watched it this time made me go, okay. I get what's going on. I actually really like what he's doing with this movie. Um, like you said, playing with like, is it real? Or like, for me, I really like, was almost disturbed with the amount of gaslighting that happens in Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially when we watch it the second time, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like everyone is messing with her fucking emotions. Yeah. In this yeah. movie. It's horrifying. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's so unsettling. And Mia Farrow does such a good job of kind of, portraying that that innocence you know that that a person has and then you know going to the city of new york this is one of my favorite new york movies where it just captures the kind of dark underbelly uh of the city so well and i i love that aspect of it and how everyone's out to get her oh man it's so good uh we'll obviously be talking more about rosemary as as we move along this episode so that moves on to the next round uh black swan is out Let's go to a let's let, let's go to one that I think we'll all be in agreement on, uh, but still a fun fun conversation. Let's the eight seed versus the nine seed, Sleepy Hollow versus Alien. Caleb, what do you got? God damn it! You know this is actually tough too because Alien's a bona fide classic, and I'm much more Alien versus Aliens personally. I love both, but I'm Alien man. Me too. But at the same time. I know Connor, I know Connor feels the same way. I grew up seeing Sleepy Hollow. I fucking adore Sleepy Hollow. It's one of my favorite Tim Burton movies. I it's such a great movie. And oh god. Oh. This is why we do it. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna go alien. I'm alien, alien down alien. All right, Connor. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same boat as Caleb. I've I've loved both of these films for as long as I can remember. And in the Alien Aliens debate, I do lean toward more towards Aliens, but it's it's so slight. Like they're both yeah. such classics. Yeah. Um Sleepy Hollow is so cool because it's it's one of Tim Burton's rare atmospheric like full-blown successes. Uh I think I, the more I've watched a Burton, the more I'm starting to think he might be more overrated than I thought, which is unfortunate. Uh, I mean, I can only watch, you know, Alice in Wonderland and Planet of the Apes so many times before I start taking points away. <laughs> but <laughs> Sleepy Hollow is so cool and fun. And seeing Christopher Walken as the headless horseman is like, oh, 
so great. Not a line of dialogue, but even his like, ah, sounds New York as fuck. Uh, but Alien changed the game. Alien is one yeah. of the most important horror films in history. So I got to give it to Alien. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. 1979, Ridley Scott, just absolute dynamite, dynamite classic. And, and you know, James Cameron does his best, I think, to to make, make a, a sequel where it has all the things you want from a sequel. But uh, that first one, and, and it's that the first time you see it, you're, you're like, wait, what? I, I didn't know you could do it this way at this time, at this stage in the game. I didn't know it could be done like this. Uh, just brilliant stuff. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> I have no problem with Alien moving on. Sleepy Hollow, it's good, but I think it's more of a, you have to get it. You have to catch it at the right time. It has to kind of be a personal favorite. Alien is like, you're crazy if you don't like Alien. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that one, that one moves on. Uh, that second round matchup is going to be intense. Uh, I'll let you, I'll, I'll wait to tell you guys what aliens going to go against in the second round, but, uh, oh boy. Finishing like off the my inner child. Out of, I just feel like I just said my inner child. Just like, ah, it's like, <laughs> not happening, buddy. <laughs> Get out of here. Fucking Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. We got the five versus the 12. Oh, Connor. Good luck, my friend. Jaws versus an American werewolf in London. Fuck you. Oh, man. <laughs> this isn't me. I didn't do this. This is the point system. <laughs> yeah, Connor, oh. it's going to be hard for you. Don't get me wrong. Both of these are classics. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Jaws. That's easy for me. I'm going Jaws. Okay, Connor. God, you're breaking my heart here. How do I, <laughs> how do, I do that? How do I choose between two of my all-time favorite movies like that? Yeah, oh. and not yeah. These are like these are, you know, Jaws. Jaws is every, everybody loves Jaws. It's just a perfect movie and changed everything about what we know about movies and the business itself. But American Werewolf in London is is Connor. <laughs> is, is is I I remember when you showed me that movie and how excited you were just to know that you could have have an open conversation about that movie with me. <laughs> that was really cool. Well, and that. that- American Werewolf London is like it's just to me like the most perfect horror comedy I've ever watched. Like up there with yeah. like, the Dead type of thing, where it's just like they nailed the comedy, they nailed the horror, and just oh, it was just a perfect mixture. So no, yes. that, I mean that's a tough one. I'm I'm going with Josh because I love Josh more, but that's a tough one because American Werewolf is such a damn good movie. Well, it's so it's so awesome. The first movie that ever won Best Makeup at the Oscars was a horror movie, and it was for a werewolf yeah. transformation that has never been topped. Yeah, an iconic transformation. Now, like it's yeah. it's still one of the most talked about transformations in horror history. It's unbelievable. I watched this movie two days ago, yeah. and it, <laughs> it's so it still holds. I'm glued to the screen. I love every moment of it. And yeah. Jaws is exactly the same way. I have like there's no wiggle room here. I gotta really just flip a coin. Yeah, um, yeah. These are both tens. These are both tens. Yeah. I thought, I thought the Disney one was hard, but God, the Disney Pixar one was hard. But fuck me, this whole no. This is harder. this is this is brutality. The next few, the next couple matchups are insanity, and it, when we get to the second round, it's just bonkers. I mean, like, it, it, like the Academy has been silly towards specifically horror and comedy, but these films like that they've collected are very good. <laughs> They're very effective movies. And American Werewolf is the reason is one of the reasons I like horror movies. It's one of the first I ever saw it. It made me it, it opened my eyes 
but so did Jaws. I watched them at around the same time. Ah, uh, goddamn. All right, I don't want to upset the apple cart. Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm here. I'm here to break any ties and I would have gone Jaws. You know, I, you know, um, it's, it's quintessential. And this is another one that wasn't on, uh, just like Parasite was not on every like website and list I looked at for horror movies. Yeah, but man. A Jaws, lot of people, is a horror, Jaws is a horror movie. Like a lot on. of people don't think that, which is weird. Oh, it, it's a I... full blown horror movie. Yeah. If you don't think in my much younger days, the amount of fights, I arguments I got into about Jaws and Silence of the Lambs, people being like, they're not horror movies because I actually like them and I hate horror movies. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Ugh. No horror movies. Like, yeah, the Academy for once recognized a fucking horror movie. Yeah, like the horror movie. Get over it. Move the fuck on. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's not like why I'll never understand why horror is a dirty word in, to some people. I just I don't right. know. Sucks. It, yeah, it's. We could have a whole podcast just about that. You know, we, we do. It's for, called the Film Gasm Podcast. <laughs> no, we know we could talk about just that, just that idea uh, of what horror means to different people. You know, like it. It's like a curse word to to people when they hear it. They like, oh, ugh. you know, and that's just yeah, it's just fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we got two more matchups in the first round, and these are these are these are brutal. Uh, let, let's start with the seven versus the ten. That's get out versus the omen. <laughs> Christ, <laughs> it's not as not as difficult for me as as you might think. Then go ahead, go ahead and start us because this is this is okay. to me this is I don't I don't think I could get much more difficult in my mind because of the because of how, how masterful they both are for their eras, you know? Uh, yeah. I I, yeah. And I, I just love watching both of them. I could rewatch both of them all day. Get out is a great, is a good horror film. It's a really cool movie. It's a great social commentary, a brilliant script, very well acted, but the omen is the omen. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's maybe the best satanic horror film ever made in my opinion. And, the music, the characters, the fact that evil fucking wins. It's so mm. dark and perfect and timeless. And I could never, I could never not choose it. Okay. Caleb, what do you got? I'm really, I'm, this isn't as brutal for me as I thought it was going to be. I do love Get Out like a lot. And I think what Get Out, the legacy Get Out will have, I think will speak for itself years on the verse as far as like, what Jordan Pill helped open up in horror and Hollywood in general. Like he was definitely on the forefront of what we're seeing now happening a lot. Um, yeah. And adding a lot more of like that smart social commentary kind of back into horror when after kind of coming off like the torture porn and the remakes and the found footage and having that more social commentary like horror come back. A lot of great stuff for Get Out. I love Get Out, but I'm with Connor Omens. A bona fide classic. I, I fucking love that movie. The, everything from like, yeah, the, just the bleakest fuck ending, the whole I did it all for you, Damien. It's just yeah. fall it's, it's just a fucking good movie. I love that movie so much. And God, the, and you know, it has also, you know, I didn't bring it up, but it has that whole cursed legacy around it. So, yes, many people. Um, it's actually a subject on a Shutter documentary I watched called Cursed Films. It was one of the episodes they talked about it, and 
yeah, that's just like both that movie and the making of that movie is just as insane. So I'm going Omen. Okay. Okay. I, I thought that'd be a tougher conversation. Uh, I think, I think I would vote get out. Uh, I think the all, I mean, yeah, they're both, they're both pretty much perfect in my eyes. I think get out. It might be because everything around it in the 2010s is just, it's just so different. And so, so like, it's just light years ahead of, of everything else in the decade. Like you spoke about Caleb remakes and found footage and not to say that there's not good stuff in that, that realm, but get out is just on a different level with its, with its screenplay with Daniel Kaluuya's performance in it. Like, Holy shit. Uh, I, I love everything, everything about that movie. And I, I will never forget seeing it in theaters and just the reaction people had. And it felt, it genuinely felt like in that moment, horror is fucking back. You know, it like really felt that way. And that's a cool feeling to have, you know, uh, that not only is it a good movie for, you know, nitty gritty horror fans, but, people saw it you know just general movie fans saw it and i love when that happens when it can kind of break down those barriers but the omen i have no problem uh with it with it moving on one of my favorite 70s horror films for sure and uh definitely deserves deserves some attention so it's it's a second round matchup will be will be intense as well uh all right last first round matchup this is beautiful the way this lined up i love this so much because it's two movies from 1986 and two movies that are very different in the way they operate and what kind of horror they're, they're really going for. And that's Aliens and The Fly. Oh, oh now that one is brutal. Oh, yeah. boy. 1986. <laughs> it's probably my two favorite movies from that year. <laughs> oh, God damn. Cameron versus Cronenberg. Fuck yeah, me. Cronenberg. <laughs> and this is prime Cameron. The camera and I really enjoyed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Oh fuck me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you really have to think about this one. I do. Um. You know what? Because I've seen it more, because I can quote it more often. I'm going to go aliens. Um, it's tough. Because fly, you know, I look, I'm I can I will reap the praises on the fly all day and what Cronenberg did with that movie from you know Goldblum's performance to the transformation to what um Cronenberg was saying with that movie. Like yeah. I talk all day about just how great fucking damn near perfect, if not perfect, that film is. Um, but just because I've grown up with I'm gonna unlike Sleepy Hollow, I'm gonna give it to growing up watching this movie a lot and just enjoying the hell out of it. I'm going aliens. Okay. Connor. These two movies are just some of the best that the genre has to offer. These are landmark films that show just how far one can go with a horror movie. If they have the right imagination and the right creative team behind them. And as much as I love both of these films, I am going to have to say simply because of the way I got to introduce it to somebody recently, be afraid, be very afraid. The fly. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, the fly is a singular experience oh. and it, 
Christ almighty. I remember when Connor heard that I had seen this. This is early on when we, when we started the podcast. And I was like, no, nah, man, I haven't. There's, there's quite a few. There still are some 80s kind of horror uh, staples that I haven't, hadn't seen and still, still working on. But mainly was the fly and the thing. And Connor was like, dude, what are you doing? You have to figure out a way to watch these. They're, they're just simply great movies all across the board, no matter what, what you think about the horror genre. They're just, they're just perfect movies. And, and with both of them, I agreed. And the fly, the fly I like immediately gave it a 10. Immediately, you know, a five-star kind of movie on Letterboxd. I just fucking adore everything about it. And obviously, my fair Jeff Goldblum performance. But Aliens is, is like really close. It's really close. The Fly gets the edge just because of that kind of, th- that feeling I get when I watch it of, there's, there's literally nothing in existence that I can, can put right next to it. With Aliens, uh, you could say that in some cases, but I think The Fly is even... It's even stranger. You know, it's so Cronenberg. It's so weird and so bizarre. And maybe his masterpiece. It really, you know, I think that could be talked about. I'm, I'm definitely a huge fan of The Brood from the, from the late 70s. But The Fly is probably his best overall film. And, and I got to give it the edge, man. It's got to, I got to have it move on. You know what? You got no complaints from me. That was, oh, God damn. It, yeah. And another reason I think I went with Aliens for me was, uh, my Blu-ray, I'm not sure if you guys only got it. It has a director's cut, so that's the one I always ah, go to. Yeah. And it has a lot more added scenes and stuff. And it really actually enhances the movie. And it's just like, whenever I tell people, like, whenever, like, someone's like, there's no good sequels. Movies don't, no, it just can't make you seem like Aliens. Aliens. Yeah. One of the best, yeah. I, I think, like, I think, it, I, honestly, I'd put it in the same conversation as, like, Godfather Part Two. It's just, it's just fucking awesome. And yeah. it almost top it almost tops the first movie, and that's just bonkers. And I think it has to be in that that conversation for greatest sequel of all time. Yeah, absolutely. But like you said, you know, there's something so visceral, haunting, and just like grisly about the fly. It's it's there, there's no other film like that to watch a man no. just melt into a monster over the course of an hour and a half. It's it's horrific, but you can't okay. get away. That too. That's a huge part of huge part of the fly is it's literally an hour and a half. Like what in the fuck? Like, how do you, as a filmmaker, how do you do all of that, accomplish all of that in such a short amount of time? I always have respect for horror films that know, know the, the audience's attention span and know when you, you know, when, when to avoid lulls and when to just, all right, let's just get down to it figure this thing out and give these people a movie. And I think Cronenberg is one of the masters of that. Like one of the true masters of understanding his runtime, understanding what's going to keep people going, 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 and then fucking end the movie. And I, I love that about him. He's become one of my favorite filmmakers because of filmgasm, because of, you know, meeting you guys. And uh, the fly is spectacular. If you haven't seen it, get the hell out of here. Stop listening and go check it out. That movie fucking rules. All right. That finishes our, our, our first round. So Alien beats Sleepy Hollow. Uh, the Fly beat Aliens. Jaws beat American Werewolf in London. Uh, the Omen beat Get Out. Rosemary's Baby beat Black Swan. All right. So obviously there are three movies, big ones, that all received the most points. They got a buy because of the way, because there's 13 technical teams in this. I gave the first three uh, seeds a buy. So they moved on to the second round no matter what. But now they will finally show up here. 
Okay, fuck me. Oh um, let's go back to Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby is the 11 seed, beat Black Swan. Uh, it is facing the number three seed, 1973, The Exorcist. How about it, gentlemen? Satan versus Pazuzu. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. God damn. Ooh. Um. <laughs> this is actually kind of easy for me. Yeah, I figured. Uh, harder than I would have thought for me. I've actually thought about this quite a lot lately because I was going to argue in this episode that without Rosemary's Baby, there is no exorcist and there is no omen. Like, this is the mm. movie that kind of opened the Satan floodgates for Hollywood, I think. Oh, 100%. It, yeah. So, but, you know, does the student become the master? Mm. Uh, I wonder. I, the Exorcist is a great movie. I've, you know, we, when we did our episode, we kind of argued that it might not be as scary as it once was. Uh, I have a great affinity for part three, which I think is oh, way part, scarier. Part oh, my God. Part three is a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, but Rosemary's Baby is very much about, you know, it, it deals with, like you said, gaslighting and the whole idea that everyone is in on the joke except you. Whereas the exorcist is full blown like the devil is here and he's going to fuck up this place. Uh, and just I did just read the book. So I am like I'm, I'm going to lean into exorcist. I think that the exorcist has a much powerful and more uh, significant legacy than Rosemary's Baby because of how far it was willing to go, how far William Friedkin was willing to take things. I mean, people. Free and Linda Blair had to do a talk show circuit to convince people she wasn't actually possessed by the devil. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I know I don't think any other movie has had that big of a like, you know, impact on people's sanity. So I'm, I'm going to give it the, to the exorcist. Okay. OK. OK. Um, real quick, uh, when you talk about like, you know, Rosemary's Berry kind of started and then exorcist like the teacher becomes a master or whatever that's actually something i like to use all the time with the slasher boom of the 80s I'm like yeah halloween started like it very much like opened that door and then fred uh, jason came in and just fucking kicked it wide open for the 80s yeah uh, um with this um and this is again like this is not a knock on rosemary's tricks like so i've had to come around i actually really do like this film and i'm looking forward to talking about it but I am giving the edge to The Exorcist because it's one that I actually, it was one of the early classics I fell in love with as a kid. That was one of those ones I had researched. I, I found a way to watch. I think I had it off of Netflix. And the first time I watched it, I fell in love with this movie. I, because it does to me what a horror, like a really good horror film does. It's a drama first and gets you into those characters, gets you into what's going on. And yeah. starts assaulting you constantly towards this back half with just crazy shit coming out of her mouth, haunting imagery, little subliminal images of Pazuzu himself. If you catch yeah. it, if you're paying attention, like it just, it just, the way it just gets you in there and then just fucking assaults you. But then so there was this great story about, uh, you know, the preacher of finding his faith, which at that time, I know that's kind of like a super big cliche now with exorcism films, but not when Exorcist came out. Yes. Well, I, I, God, I could talk about this one. It's a perfect ten for me still. 
So I'm I'm giving the edge to the Exorcist. Yeah, I, I would too. I would too. This would be a clean sweep. Uh, the Exorcist. Yeah, I mean, I, I adore it. it. To me, one of the coolest <clears throat> double features you can do as a person that likes movies is watch The French Connection, The Exorcist, William Friedkin's two early 70s movies. And like the way New York is captured in these two movies is, is just unparalleled. Uh, even, even Rosemary's Baby, just, to me, just doesn't hold a candle to it. Uh, I love the slow burn like you mentioned of, of a, a drama like a like a family drama and then just attacking all the senses just destroying you laying it on you making making you think afterwards and i'll be honest with the these movies these especially the exorcist uh you know i grew up um going to church and very much being a part of the church for like a long time up until my late teenage years and when I saw this movie, it just just rattled rattled my cage big time, and I still I still get scared. I know that's a big uh, conversation around the Exorcist, is it's not quote unquote scary. I still get I still get kind of the EVGBs when I watch the Exorcist, and in particular the scene between uh, Ellen Burstyn's character, the mother, and uh, one of the doctors when they're speaking to each other. I've, I've talked about this many times on all of our podcasts, all of our shows. It's, it's one of my favorite movie scenes of all time because they're breaking down wh- what I look at the horror genre at, uh, is and they're talking and the doctor says, well, if your daughter believes it to be true, it is true. And I, I absolutely love lines like that in horror movies when it's understanding of, you know, kind of a, you kind of have to put your walls down when you're watching horror and kind of, kind of just give yourself to it. And I love that in real life, sometimes people like give themselves over to something and it quite frankly, like possesses them or takes over them and controls their mind, controls the way they think, controls the way they, they operate. And I think that can happen to people. I think if people believe something so hard, like it is true in their life. And I love that part of the exorcist. It's probably my favorite, my favorite overall scene. And then you have, Again, like Caleb mentioned, it just there's there's like brutal, brutal scenes in this movie that are very, very dark, especially for its time. So yeah, Exorcist, man, all all the way, love that movie. Uh, so that's 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 moved on to the final four. I love that The Exorcist. Uh, I think it belongs there. Uh, let's see. Oh boy, let's go ahead and get this one out of the way. There, these are all ridiculous. So just just buckle up. Uh, number two seed, Parasite from 2019. Big Best Picture winner, awesome movie by Bong Joon Ho versus The Omen, 1976. <laughs> okay, uh, Parasite, I feel like is really tough to nail down exactly what genre it is. That's its best asset. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's drama. There's comedy. There's horror. There's thrills. Like it's everywhere. Um, so is it a horror film? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's it's like a Frankenstein movie. It's every genre yes. stitched together. And, you know, Bong Joon-ho has created life. But the omen, again, is the fucking omen. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's got maybe my favorite horror movie score of all time, which is just Jerry Goldsmith and Gregorian chanting of just, you know, Hail Satan. It's, it's perfect. And also toys with the idea of like every 
you know, all the people involved in this ongoing scheme to raise the Antichrist to make sure he, you know, he rises. And when you realize just like everyone who's like all the pieces that had to go right to get here, you know, Damien, I mean, uh, what's his name? Robert Thorne losing, you know, and his wife losing their kid in childbirth. And then the, the guy in the hospital just saying like, Hey, this other person's like died in childbirth or the baby's okay. So why don't we just swap them? And, none, and nobody's any of the wiser. The fact that they even considered that shit right at the beginning is like, these are kind of terrible people. Uh, oh, just, and it's all about, you know, you see so little in that movie. Mm. It's all implied. It's all like you hear what happens, but you don't see it. So it might not even be true. This might just be hysteria, but it probably isn't. Um, and I love Parasite. It's a fantastic movie. It's, I'm so glad it won Best Picture. I don't necessarily think it's a horror movie, so I am going to give it to The Omen. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to give this one to The Omen, too. Um, I actually really like Parasite. I remember I, uh, I saw it on the ship, actually, on deployment, and... I remember just really, really falling in love with it. And, you know, like you guys were saying, like, yeah, I don't know if I, I'm the same way. It's definitely horror adjacent. I don't know if it's, it's not full on horror though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he does kind of like, kind of like Robin from Nexus. He does such a good job of like pulling you into that story and what they're trying to achieve with that family and their wealth that when he f- just tra- pulls that rug out from you, and reveals what the fuck's actually going on. It's like, wait, what? What? Just hold on, movie. What's going on? Yeah, um, it takes you a minute, but it's just like, uh, it's, but then you're like, okay, I kind of want to see how this plays out. Um, so like the way he's able to juggle that, and you don't, you're in for the ride the whole time. You're never like, oh, okay, this is too much. I'm out. You're like, no, okay, this. I wasn't expecting this turn. Let's, now I'm curious. Let's find out. Um, it's yeah, it's a wonderful film with. An ending I didn't even see coming. I I remember looking at it and going, oh my god, okay. But yeah, Omen all the way. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I the Omen is just moving its way through here. I love it. I uh I would I would I would vote Parasite here if I if it if it you know you, it's two it's two zero uh two one I guess uh, Parasite gets a point. But I I, I think including Parasite. And Black Swan uh, is is tough. You know, I think these movies are, like Caleb, you said, horror adjacent. I think they have elements. Uh, I just I just love them so much. <laughs> They're so much damn fun. I wanted to put them in here. And again, these lists, you know, I did. I looked at probably 15 different lists on, on the Internet of all these different writers and different articles and IMDb list and letterbox list of horror Oscar winners, you know, and Parasite popped up on a lot of them. I think I think Parasite, that's my favorite thing about it, is that it shows people that, like, genre films are the king. Genre films have the most shit that they can do. They have no fucking rules. They can do whatever they want. They can be as wacky as they want. Uh, and in Parasite, you know, there's one minute where we're at a birthday party and the next minute a guy has a knife like he's fucking Michael Myers about to stab people. And that's my but my favorite thing about Parasite is, is that it just bends and breaks everything that we know to be genre. And I think Bong Joon-ho is always kind of setting out to do stuff like that. You know, I think 
I think a lot about Snowpiercer and The Host, these movies that are just unapologetically original and themselves. And Parasite, I think, deserves a spot in this bracket just because of how fucking committed it is to itself and how it's, it's willing to just kind of stand out and be really wacky and really weird. And I'm not going to lie, out of all these movies, one of the scariest moments in any of them is when the uh, maid comes back to the house in Parasite and you see her in the rain and you're like, oh, fuck, what is she doing here? <laughs> you know, I, I lost my mind, you know, uh, I lost my mind during that scene. And then she goes to the goes to that that back door in the, in the kitchen area and she props herself up against the wall. And you're like, what is she fucking doing? You know, and you realize, oh, my God, her husband has been living here all this time. And I it's just bonkers. That whole stretch of the movie is, is, is wild. I love it. But the omen also has one of my favorite moments in all these movies. And that's when that guy's head gets fucking chopped off by the glass. That's just fucking sliding. Really cool, really cool stuff. So that's a cool matchup. I like that. You know, it's a lot of years in between 2019 and 1976. A lot of stuff has happened in the horror genre, but I think the omen stands really strong and I I have no problem with it moving on. Uh, Oh, we got two more matchups in the second round, both uh, brutality. Uh, let's go Jaws, the five seed, versus The Fly, the 13 seed. 75 versus 86. Good luck. Oof. God damn it. Bruce versus Brundlefly. Form, <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Which gave us some of the scariest scenes in horror movie history. Oh boy! Um, oh god damn it! I don't know if you guys ever saw Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments countdown from like 2004. Oh yeah, which to me is still like the definitive list of like the greatest scary movie moments in film history. I'd like to see them do it again, but for what we got, it's great. Jaws is number one. It is like the moment, the opening where uh, what's her name, Chrissy, I think it was, gets. Mm-hmm dragged to the depths from an unseen shark was voted the scariest movie moment of all time. That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, the fly I mean, was in like the twenties or thirties. Yeah. Yeah. The fly is definitely a cerebral like experience. You know, uh, jaws has a couple of just flat out freaky moments and you know, when Shaw dies, like, I mean, good God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. PG my ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really pushing PG in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nudity, violence, blood, gore. Like, I don't know what you had to do in 75 Ranking, to get an yeah. R rating, but I don't there's, know. There's a PG film. I can't remember her name. I was watching something about it from like the 70s or 80s. It's PG and has like nudity, like tits everything. Actually, there was one I watched, Tourist Trap with Chuck Connors. Tanya Roberts, I believe, or one other female actress, completely naked. It's your boobs and everything. PG. Jesus it's Christ. Like, it's crazy. I'll, I'll never figure that out. The, the whole rating system, I, I don't agree with anyway. Um, so Jaws gets the win, obviously. Uh, it's just, it's so important to my development as a film fan, to like the development of the, of the summer blockbuster. You know, it's my favorite Robert Shaw performance. It's my favorite Roy Scheider performance. Mm. Uh, it's it's a great buddy movie as well as an epic shark adventure. 
And it could have been a disaster. Everything that went wrong, like everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. The shark didn't fucking work. Like everything spelled disaster for Spielberg's career, but he managed to make something incredible out of what he had. And it ended up being one of the most important films of all time. So I will always love that movie just because it's the, like, it's the little movie that, that could, you know, it's, yeah. it was so problematic. And I think, you know, if it hadn't been, I don't think we would have gotten as great a movie. I mean, you know, he had to use the hint of the shark because he couldn't use the full shark. And because of that, the anticipation is fucking tense as hell the whole time. It's brilliant. And this was Spielberg's like second, third movie. And already he was like, this guy is going to be one of the greatest directors in history. Like you can tell. Yeah. And, I mean, nothing but props, nothing but love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I am also going to have to give this to Jaws. Um, the Fly is, a, as we talked about, it's a fantastic movie. It's by many, a lot of people considered Cronenberg's masterpiece, if not, you know, right fucking up there. Um. So and I do consider like one of I don't know if I consider his masterpiece, but definitely some of his best films he's done. Um, but with Jaws, you know, I have to pick that because of like kind of Connor talked about what it did for the summer blockbuster. The fact that like so that was one of that was Spielberg's I believe second film. I think he did it after Duel, um, and it already showed the type of director we he was like the gift that he had to make a film and to do what he had to to get it done and with something that would carry over well into what he's still doing to this very day yep um and another quick little thing is the um i know i brought up when we talked about a long time ago on show but it was one of the early films that have characters actually talking over each other like naturally talking getting away from that like stagey haze code area of like yeah being angry i'm i need to argue my point completely then you can say your line yeah. um so like what this film just did on so many levels the impact is so has the fact that people are so terrified of sharks still afraid to go in the water if anyone tries to tell me bullshit you there's a little fear you got when you go in that water um it just speaks to itself so jaws yeah <clears throat> yeah this is a clean sweep jaws is yeah, I, well, for the, I love the fly. I think we've talked uh, like we all very much love the fly and have a lot of respect for it. It beat fucking aliens. So uh, amazing movie. Jaws is is like a life changer. It will it will give you every little bit of emotion you want when you're watching a movie. You know, uh, there's there's scenes. You know, like when they're on the boat. You know, Dreyfus, Shaw, and Scheider are just bullshitting. It's like some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen in any movie. Uh, Shaw getting just destroyed by the shark is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. And the capturing human reaction and disregard for action as these people are just almost like pawns as, you know, the city is like, oh, let's, let's let them go back in the water. Let's take them out of the water. Let's do this. Let's do that. We need the dollars for the city. All of those things, like the, the, the economics of it, you know, the, the social, social commentary of it is fucking incredible and still stands today. I can't believe it's about to be 50 years old. That's crazy. You know, in just four years, we'll be talking about Jaws. In my opinion, you know, this is the movie that probably gets brought up the most through all of our, uh, all of our different shows on filmgasm. It just affects, it affects everything when you're talking about movies, it affects 
horror, it affects the Oscars, it affects just entertainment, you know, and what we, what you hold to a standard, you know, a movie can never be as entertaining as Jaws, you know, it's just, it's, it's to me, it's like damn near impossible for a movie to come out now and be as entertaining as Jaws is. It's just, it's just perfect. So it definitely deserves a spot in the final four. Um, Last matchup of the second round. We finally get to talk about that 1991 classic Sounds of the Lambs, the one seed versus Alien, the nine seed. Mm. <laughs> Jesus mm. Christ. Good luck. <laughs> um, this is pretty wow. easy for me. Uh, uh, easy. Alien's fantastic, but there's few films in Oscar history as deserving of best picture as the Silence of the Lambs. Ah, JFK has something to say about that. Mm, JFK <laughs> can go straight to hell up against Silence of the Lambs. I love JFK, JFK as well. <laughs> but this movie, uh, it's so perfect. It's the it's a flawless serial killer narrative with brilliant characters, uh, fantastic performances. It's, I've seen it a hundred times. It's still incredibly tense, and you know, I just I, I think Ted Levine got overlooked for best supporting actor. Uh, I. I'm so glad it's one of the three films that won the big five. You know, it's just, it's flawless and it's so entertaining to this day. Uh, I like the two sequels too. I think Hannibal has aged decently and red dragons really fun. Uh, Yeah. Just this first movie though. I think that it was winning best picture was huge for the horror genre because just for a little brief moment there, it got some credit, like some Academy, like legit respect, which was yeah. nice. And I don't know if we'll ever see another horror film win top honors like that. I mean, you can argue Parasite, but mm, I mean, Lambs not, is full yeah. blown horror. Yeah. Um, Textbook. And it's just a brilliant film. I love it to death. Uh, nothing, you know, no ill will towards Alien, but Lambs is a firm favorite and just wow okay um you know what i'm going to concur as much as i like alien i'm going silence because this is a film that like you you mentioned right for a moment it had recognition we finally the horror fans had recognition at something like the oscars right yeah. But unfortunately what then turned around immediately after was well it's not horror it's a suspense it's a thriller yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like we had it and then it got taken away. I don't blame the film. Again, that's just people being assholes. Um, because fact matter is a horror film won best fucking picture. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's this film was just so incredibly tense, incredibly engaging, riveting. Like any word you want to use for it, it this film is. It just it just is from Ted Levine's performance as Buffalo Bill, Anthony uh, Hopkins, obviously, as good old yeah. Hannibal Lecter, um, Jodie Foster as Clarice. I, it's just everyone brings their A game to this yeah. movie, and it's I never get tired of watching it. And once I get my movies back to the movies, I can't wait to crack open that Criterion uh, mm. one I got. I, I just I fucking adore this movie. Um, I don't like this first sequel as much as connor does but red dragon is pretty badass let me let me clarify i fucking hate that it's not jody foster it really bugs me that it's julianne moore but if 
I've, I've tried really hard in the past few years to kind of just accept that that's what it is. And if you can do that, you've got, you know, the manhunt, you've got Giancarlo Giannini hunting him down. You've got Gary Oldman hunting him down and you get Hopkins once again, bringing his a game as Hannibal Lecter in a very twisted love story from his perspective. It, I, I think there's a lot to like there, but I do agree. I, I, I understand why people don't like it. I'll say this. I will watch over Hannibal Rising any fucking day of the week. Oh, my God. I, Dear God. Yeah. I sat to that many months was like, oh, but uh, going, yeah, going back to silence. Like, yeah, this is it. You know, this wasn't a film like you guys, you guys know how I feel about the Oscars. And, yeah. you know, from once, even I can say, like, I'm really proud that this film didn't win. And this film does have recognition, you know, fuck the people that are trying to take it down with saying it's suspense this this film absolutely deserves everything it won it's a brilliant movie it's it's a classic it's a great fucking movie i can go back to it any day it's it's a damn near perfect horror film so yeah silence okay yeah i i i would vote i would vote for it too but slightly very slightly i think alien is uh on the same front like where where jaws is just like a trendsetter a game changer aliens in that in that place it, it really is just crazy that it's from 1979 uh there's movies that try to do what it's doing and just fail miserably for the past 40 years uh lambs is textbook you know it's textbook here's this character here's this character here's this character and some are creepy some are good you know and you just kind of have to deal with it what it has that none of these movies all these other movies we've talked about what Lambs has over it is, is Anthony Hopkins uh, just putting in absolute work as Hannibal Lecter. One of the easiest best actor wins, I think, in the history of the, of the category. Just he is, he is lights out in that movie. And I think he's why it's so rewatchable every time. Every time he's on the screen, which is his runtime in the movie is only like 18 minutes or something. Yeah. But every minute is so fucking effective. And he, he, he's just, he's putting on a clinic in my opinion for when it comes to acting. So uh, yeah, it gets, it gets a slight, slight win for me, but I do think alien uh, has, has a horse in the race. Uh, and, and both of them are, are classics. I think, I think alien like should have been in the best picture group from 1979. I mean, I love Kramer vs. Kramer. I love apocalypse now, but I think alien like should have been in that conversation. I think it's that good. Uh, Lambs, Winning in 1991, I love it, but I do think JFK is like just as good of a movie. I love JFK with all my heart. I also think Boys in the Hood from 1991 is just as good of a movie. Uh, was not up for Best Picture, but definitely should have been. Uh, Lambs being a Big Five winner is so cool. Is <laughs> is so cool because the other two movies that did it, you know, uh, it happened one night. Very much old school Hollywood, just kind of. Uh, you know, there's just those, those exact thing, textbook things you want from a movie from the thirties or forties. And then one for the cuckoo's nest is like a textbook drama where you, you have, you know, Jack Nicholson just, just crushing it. Uh, but sounds of lambs is, is the one that is, Oh, that's the kind of elephant in the room. Let's talk about that one. So I love that it's there has a seat at the table. Very cool. All right. We have our final four. These are some good movies, (laughs) three seventies movies and one nineties movie. So let's go back to the bottom side of the bracket. And that would be 
the number three seed, the Exorcist, versus the number ten seed, the Omen. Woo! Ooh, now that one is tough. I knew it was going to happen eventually. The Devil. Yep. <sighs> the two greatest versus Devil movies of all time. The Devil versus his son, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shit. Um. Well, The Exorcist, like Rosemary's Baby, set a tone of what horror could be. The Exorcist is a film that really, I think so many films after it owe their legacy to The Exorcist. Mm. This was something that no one had ever seen before. I mean, to see, you know, a, a, a child possessed by the, you know, in the movie, it's supposed to be like the devil or, you know, later on Pazuzu. But he claims he's the devil. And, uh, you know, masturbating with a crucifix and screaming obscenities and vomiting green shit on a priest. Like, this was, you know, the Hays Code had just been broke, has just, had just left. And now we're like, now we're spitting green shit on a priest. Like, people wanted to experiment. People wanted to be like, don't tell me what to do. It's my movie. <laughs> and The Exorcist is one of the ultimate examples of that. Uh, and without that movie, there is no omen. Uh, the omen is, I, I like to, you know, I like to think of it as the antithesis of the exorcist. While the exorcist is super overt in what it shows you, the omen shows you nothing. It just tells you this is the antichrist. This is how he was born. This is what he's going to do. And you have to stop him. Uh, and it's all really based in faith. Like Robert Thorne has to believe that his son is the son of the devil. He's shown no proof of this, but he has to believe wholeheartedly that his son is evil and he has to kill him. And I wonder, you know, if I was told that information, could I, could I do that? I mean, if I see, you know, in the, if, if I ever, if I have, a, if I ever have a daughter and she, you know, turns veiny and starts screaming shit at, you know, a priest and her head turns 360, I'm going to be like, okay, this is the devil. I got to deal with this, but a killer. Yeah. Business. Yeah. But if I'm in the omen and I'm like, well, my kid doesn't like church and dogs growl at him. Does that mean he's the Antichrist? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I think that's a, a vicious double feature as well. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. And just going by personal preference and how unnerved I've been by it since I first saw it, I'm going to have to give this to the omen. OK, Connor is sticking to the omen. I love that movie to <laughs> death. All right, this is uh my pick is really about like the two types of like the horror I tend to like more and the horror that Connor tends to like more. And it's a keyword Connor said, overt. As we did in a top ten a little bit ago for a, a sync preview where we just not from the movies. If you know my top ten, I had a lot of it was a two thousands horror, which was when I was a teenager, and I put a lot of the the you know, torture porn stuff, the in-your-face score, that was like, because that's just what I grew up, that's what I loved. In-your-face score. A lot of my favorite films are very gory. Um, so with that, I have to go Exorcist. I, I love The Omen to Death, but I just, I'm a sucker for the soul in the senses part. I mean, when she's saying what she's saying, the crucifix, whole aspiration crucifix thing, like, I'm like, this is wild, and I'm in. So I know that probably makes me a little fucked up, but oh well. If anybody's yeah, well, listened to our show at this, like, ever since you joined it, they they, they know you're fucked up, Caleb. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm right there in that fucked up wagon with you. Uh, the Exorcist is definitely definitely takes the win here. Love the almond. Uh, has some of the wild, you know, wildest scene. The zoo scene, fucking amazing. <laughs> I love it to death. There's there's a few things, and I actually love what Gregory Peck is doing in that movie. But uh, The Exorcist. I mentioned how earlier uh, with this in French Connection. I should clarify. I mentioned that they're like two of my favorite New York movies. Uh, I know The Exorcist is technically Georgetown, which is like near Washington, D.C., but a lot of the film was, well, Friedkin was like, well, we're going to New York, you know, to film a lot of the movie. And good God, it shows, you know, you're like, wait, there's no other place that could have these, <laughs> these streets and these things going on, you know, it has to, has to be New York, has to be the Mecca. And uh, the, those, those stairs, still like haunt me uh the like caleb mentioned the crucifix scene where she's just losing her mind um one of the craziest things i've ever seen on a screen and kind of sets the template for me for 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 my fandom because i also saw it younger than a lot of the others other a lot of these other movies it sets the template for kind of desensitizing me as a, as a horror fan and kind of showing me, no, like your mind can go to even darker, weirder places. You know, you can keep watching wild, wacky shit, be entertained by it, realize it's a movie, put your walls down, have some fun with it and get immersed into the world and the, the shit that they're trying to kind of portray here. So the exorcist is, yeah, it's uber important to, the horror genre, it's uber important to being rep- represented at the Oscars. It got 10 nominations uh, at, at that show. And that's just fucking crazy. I believe at the 46th Academy Awards, I believe that's what it was. It just, it kind of made noise with those, with those people too, with the critics and the, you know, the Academy voters. And that, that just puts a smile on my face. Cause I, the fact that they watched maybe some of that movie, hopefully all of it, that just that just makes me really happy that they they sat through that one and they were like no this is one of the best movies of the year <laughs> it's really really cool uh, so the absolute fiction scene just yeah mm. I like this movie shallow and pedantic yeah <laughs> so good I love it uh, the Exorcist barely wins two to one Connor you were going strong for the Omen there uh, it beat Get Out beat Parasite and almost beat the Exorcist Jesus <laughs> I will, well as will... good. Oh, sorry. I want to say with the breaking the walls on, like what you can see in movies, take it from me. Be careful what you wish for sometimes. Because I have so I have sought out some pretty fucked up movies, and there is at least one that made me go, not nah, not much an eye in. Oh, yeah, we know oh, what that movie is. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I definitely know. I and I know um, you know, I know I, I don't want to say there's boundaries or like, you know, because you don't want to draw lines, but but there are, you know, in your own mind, there's somewhere there. It's like an imaginary line that's somewhere where it's like, okay, like it's almost when you're, if you're, if you go out drinking and you're like, okay, I've had too many drinks. Now I need to slow down, need to stop, need to like kind of gain, gain my consciousness back and realize where I am. I think with horror movies, like each person does probably have their limit, you know, and it can't, someone out there, probably in Eastern Europe, has made a movie that will push that boundary <laughs> and uh, and it will probably fuck you up too much. So you, you do have to be careful, but I think, you know, trying stuff is, is really important. And the exorcist tra- taught me that 
yeah. hey, you you can try stuff. You're allowed to seek stuff out, seek out other uh, you know recommendations from different people, and you never know you, you never know where it's going to take you. Sometimes it'll probably kick you in the ass, but with The Exorcist, uh, definitely not definitely not a movie that I feel uh, betrayed by. I feel very much like oh, this is this is made for a reason. This is made for for movie fans, and I'm very grateful for it. So it's in the it's in the championship round, and it's going to face either Sounds of the Lambs at the one seed or fucking Jaws as the five seed. <laughs> Holy hell. <laughs> well, I do just real quick want to say I love The Omen. I know I understand, you know, it might not be everybody's, you know, super iconic horror film, especially compared to The Exorcist. I get it. The Exorcist is unique in what it presented to the world. And if any, if any movie was going to beat the omen on this, I, the exorcist is going to be it. So that's, that's good. I didn't, I didn't mean like any dig when I said like the difference in horror movies. I just like, I know like for me, no, you're I'm right much more to the graphic stuff than you are. Like I will yeah. never forget when I dragged you to go see fucking the green inferno <laughs> and it gets to that thing with the chicks getting like the dude. So I was getting like all his limbs cut off graphically one by one, including his tongue. Um, and I think you were looking away because you're like, I can't do this. I'm sitting with my bowl of popcorn, just yeah, really yeah, crazy. yeah. See, there you go. You know, there's there's somewhere in your mind you're like, this is not my line. <laughs> I love yeah. I love this. <laughs> I I know what I like, and I know what I know when I'm like, this is too much. And yeah, there are some films uh, that I just don't want to watch again. Uh, but you know, I don't you know. I don't judge you for liking that stuff. You know, horror is subject, like every genre is subjective. And I, I like a little bit more of the, you know, spooky atmospheric stuff over just, you know, Eli Roth stabbing someone in the face. Fatalities. Yeah. <laughs> you in the face. Just, ah. <laughs> more of that. Uh. Check out the Filmgasm podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing Filmgasm to here today, obviously. <laughs> I love it. What happens when I come on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you either get this or fucking Toy Story. So deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I love it. All right, Connor, you start us off. Lambs or Jaws? Sharks or Hannibal? What, what, what do you got? Oh, one movie Sharks is Hannibal. Make your make your decision. One movie is about a vicious man-eating monster that's terrorizing a small town, and the other one is Jaws. Um, they're <laughs> both these films are fucking cl- classics, incomparable, uh, masterpieces. Uh, Jonathan Demme versus Steven Spielberg. This is oh, I love that. Impossible. Oh, um, I one of my earliest memories in life is waking up in the middle of the night to Jaws being on TV from my mom watching it and watching Quint get eaten in half by a shark and not really realizing what was going on because I hadn't watched the first part of the movie, but being like, whoa, this is weird. I've never seen anything like that before. Not being scared, more being like fascinated. Like, what is this? Uh, yes. I was yes. like five or six. And I'm like, this is interesting. I want to see more like this because I've been watching Disney movies my whole short life. <laughs> and I just was like, from then on kind of, almost like unconsciously trying to find weirder stuff to watch, even as like a, a small child. 
So I owe Jaws quite a lot in terms of how I became a film buff. So Mm -hmm. for that, I'm giving this to Jaws. Okay. Okay. I like that explanation. That's a good one. It's not easy. It's not. No, it is not easy. And I do feel like I'm betraying Silence of the Lambs a bit here. But, you know, I'm I am not a one movie man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, You know, like we said, Silence is, you know, such a great movie. And the fact that it even the Oscars for a brief moment in time were like, okay, we'll give this one not just nominations, but wins because we like it that much. Yeah. Is is awesome. Um, but with Jaws, you know, I've watched that since I was a kid. And one thing I'm I'm thinking of that makes me want that makes me still pick Jaws is for all the horrific stuff that happens. I mean, for all the boundary pushing Burberg did, there's a brilliant scene that even before I was in the Navy that stuck with me when I saw this movie for the first time. That was Shaw's speech about his time. Yes. Uh, Independence. Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Sorry, sorry. I was like, Independence, Indianapolis. And you know what could have been a cheap moment by taking from a real life tragedy, if you know, real American soldiers died that day, but turning into such a powerful moment and humanizing this character who, for some people, would be kind of annoying. But yeah. you see what you, you get a feeling of who he is. You you know why he drinks so much. You know why he is so why he's so obsessed with this shark. And it's just not one scene. Speaks to the performance, to Spielberg's direction, and just everything going to that. That I'm I'm giving this one to Joss. Yeah, yeah. This is this is tough, but this this really forces you to confront. You know, obviously they're both both great movies but it forces you to confront just the and we talked a little bit about this with jaws versus the fly the importance of jaws and what it what it's done and that that particular scene is so stirring and so moving that speech is uh, like one of the best monologues you know in any any movie I've ever seen where a guy's just like, all right, everybody shut up. I'm breaking this down. The movie's restarting. <laughs> like this, this is what the movie is now. You pay attention to me. And I love that. I love that about it. Uh, I, I definitely give this, this vote to draws uh, lamps, the number one seed, just super important for uh horror within the Oscars, but jaws is important for everything. And without it, I just don't know where we are in movies today. <laughs> I really don't. So it, it gets the win. And that makes the uh, championship round an uh, all 70s. It's the Exorcist versus Jaws. Real quick, do you guys know the story behind the USS Indianapolis speech? Yeah, I think we talked about it on our episode. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking yeah. awesome. Like Spielberg needed, uh, like there was something missing from that scene. So we went to his friend, John Milius, the guy who yeah. wrote Apocalypse Now and Conan the Barbarian and said, hey, can you give me something? Like something's missing here. I'd love you know, something in the script here. So like over a weekend or like a night or something, he just wrote up this speech about the USS Indianapolis. Robert Shaw rehearsed it a couple times and they filmed it and it ended up being one of the most memorable moments of the movie and one of the most powerful monologues in cinema history. Yeah. So cool how shit like that can happen overnight. Yeah. 
like I said, what I love about it so much is that, you know, it doesn't cheapen what actually happened, you know, because there is a fine line with that. For sure, yeah. I mean, like I said, real people lost their lives that day, did not get to go home to their families. Yeah. Um, but instead of it being a cheap moment, because the way it's delivered, it not only brings, you know, it, like I said, it humanizes this character, it brings a very real fear to you, to the viewer. And you go, for a moment, it's not the shark that scares you, it's something like that. Like you go, what would I do in that situation? Like, mm. I didn't be in that kind of thing. Like, it, it makes it really real for a second yeah. in that one little moment. And then, yeah. God, that- Jaws is so good at that. It's so good at, like, <laughs> taking specific scenes and making you think, which is, like, the best thing about watching movies or TV is, what would I do? And it does that over and over and over. What would I do? What would I do as a parent here? Would I not let my kids go in the water? What would I do if I were on that boat with those people who are fighting for the country? And, like, shit really gets real and a lot of people lose their lives. Like, what would I do in that situation? And... And, and Robert Shaw's delivery is just lights out, just crazy stuff. It's that, that's the kind of stuff that really should get you recognized at something like the Oscars, uh, a performance like that. Uh, unfortunately, just not the case for, for Shaw, but good Lord. One of the, one of the best scenes of any, any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, so this, this ends with uh, the exorcist versus jaws. huh? Yeah. I actually, I don't know if I I don't know if I knew this was going to happen because I I personally thought Get Out was going to beat the Omen in the first run. I thought things were going to change around there, but then the Omen just kept making moves, and I was like, "Oh shit, this might be the Omen versus Jaws." (laughs) (laughs) And and then I didn't know where you guys were going to go with Lambs versus Jaws. You know, uh, I know that's like both those movies are tens. I think for all of us, and yeah, uh, that's not that's never easy to kind of figure out and process, but. I think we're all in the same boat where Jaws is just the most important movie out of all these. Yep. As uh, Hooper once said, I'm not going to argue with a man who's lining up to be a hot lunch. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Jaws wins it for me. Beautiful. I'm going to uh, – yeah, I'm going to give Jaws. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, love The Exorcist. I think it – you know, we spoke a lot about just – it's. it also has a very important role within the horror genre and within – 70s cinema for sure uh this is my favorite decade by a landslide in american uh, filmmaking is the 70s and i think the exorcist and jaws are probably two of the first five movies i would name from that decade of just you have to see these these are really important and that's not just that's not just horror uh that's just movies in general i think you just have to see those i put them right up there with the godfather right up there with chinatown uh you know you just like you have to see them you can thank three decades of cinematic oppression for the creativity of the seventies. Yep. The 70s was a direct response to the Hayes code finally being taken away. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and people just, you know, Oh fuck, we can do this now. Let's see how far we can push it. Let's see how weird we can get. Let's see how strange we can get. Let's see how scary we can get. And that like, those thoughts are the best, you know, uh, just creative freedom. Uh, you know, from the late 60s to it really starts with Rosemary's Baby and in, in the horror, you know, horror genre of we're free now, like we're free, we can do what we want to holy shit, it comes all the way up to a head with Jaws, you know, like oh, wow. <laughs> and then, and then I think you throw uh, 
1978 Halloween in there. Just wow, wow, wow. Like a, uh, like a like through and through slasher film can just move you and stir you the way that that movie does. It's just it's mind boggling. Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist revitalized the supernatural horror film. Jaws revitalized the creature feature and mm-hmm. Halloween revitalized the slasher film. Beautiful. So right there, you've got the you know future of horror. The Mount Rushmore. Yep. Mm-hmm. You could argue <laughs> Mount- that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre helped with yes. Well. yes. 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 Don't, don't think we're not going to not mention that movie with me. And yeah. Talking about 74. <laughs> Chainsaw. Yeah. There's really countless movies from the 70s that you can point to as like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? And they still haven't been topped. Like, why in the past 40 years, why can't they figure this out? Why can't they match what they were doing in the 70s? It's just not, it's not going to happen. Like, like I said, I think with the 70s, you know, like the Hayes Code, you take that Hayes Code strip away, finally, young filmmakers coming into their like beginning of their careers at the same time, and also an, inten- an intentional move to realistic filmmaking compared to what was going on. Or mm. it just yep. all came beautifully together in the seventies. Yeah, beautiful That's stuff. Great. I I love it. Oh man, that was a lot of fun. You know, I I always love those kind of. They're just kind of these these long, thoughtful projects that we like to do on our podcast, where we just kind of you're able to shout out thirteen different films, uh, and really hone in on what you love about them and give them a vote. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, that's that's a good group. I like all of those movies that we talked about. There's not one of them that I'm yeah, not a fan of. I think they're all great. My least favorite is probably Black Swan and Sleepy Hollow, and I like both of those, so like that's crazy. Yeah, Black Swan's probably my least favorite too, but honestly, I don't have really much of a problem with it. I think all these films yeah. are awesome and significant and uh good it was a good grouping. Yeah. 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 Lots of fun. There are a few Oscar winners that we have not all seen, so they didn't get included. Um, I actually have a little list of them that I can go ahead and shout them out real quick. 1931, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 1943, The Phantom of the Opera. 1945, The Picture of Dorian Gray. 1962, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, 1990, Misery. Uh, 1992, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And 2007, Sweeney Todd. So, I've seen Todd, I've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula, I've seen Misery, but those early, those first four I have not seen. Same, same. I don't like how I was looked at so intensely on Misery here. All right, I've seen whatever happened to David <laughs> <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> hey, yeah, you do have that on us. You like that movie? I love that movie. Oh my God, that's such a good fucking movie. Hell yeah. I'm excited. We're, we're definitely, we've thought about doing that one on this, on this podcast for quite some time. So it may, it may pop up sometime soon. We'll see. Uh, yeah. But really looking forward to it. Kind of learning about the production and the, the nightmare that I hear that it was on set. So oh. yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't fucking wait. Uh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Rosemary's baby. That's uh, the film we're going to be talking about from here on out. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into uh, Roman Polanski, get this thing over with. He is a Oscar winner. Uh, he's someone who's been recognized quite a few times, and I don't quite understand it because if he set foot here, uh, he'd be flat out arrested and thrown in jail. So I don't, I don't really get why they 
still after everything came out in the late seventies, they still were like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. We'll, we'll give this guy, we'll give this guy awards. Uh, he was nominated for screenplay, Rosemary's baby nominated for best director, Chinatown, 1974, uh, nominated for best director, uh, Tess, 1979. Great movie. Uh, nominated best picture as a producer for the pianist 2002 and then one best director for that film in 2002. So, but what in 2002, nearly 30 years after everything's happened and come out and he still gets a win from the Academy. That just doesn't make any sense. I got to, I got to point this out. I pointed this out almost every time we bring up Polanski on this show, because it just fucking blows my mind. Uh, The description under his best director win for the pianist says Roman Polanski was not present at the award ceremony being a fugitive (laughs) from us justice since fleeing Mm -hmm. the country in 1978 presenter Harrison Ford accepted the award on his behalf. Yeah. What in the hell? I know, I know I've said this before. I'm all about like separating the art from the artist. But like, with that said, right? Like, if you want to watch Polanski films that he's come out with now, you do you. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I was like, but the fact that, yeah, they're still nominating him at the Oscars, you know, he's literally, he's a wanted fugitive. Like you, like you're yeah. saying, he sets foot on this country. He's going to jail, no ifs, fans or buts. It, that part does blow my mind too. It's like, wait, what? Like, for Christ's sakes! Like, we finally got Victor Salva off the fucking Cheapers Creepers franchise. Mm. We're ready to come out with a new one next year that he's not attached to. So it's like, what? Well, like, what? I don't understand Hollywood sometimes. Polanski was expelled from the Academy a few years ago when the music yeah a few years ago it only took forty years yeah <laughs> I know it's well I mean are you really surprised that a industry that was kind of built on rape Lies. is so forgiving yeah. of yeah. Roman Polanski for so long well, that people so wanted many, to work with him for decades yeah and so many amazing directors like signed that petition. Sign that petition to like clear his name. Like David Lynch is one of the guys that that signed that petition. Oh, uh, that, that hurts. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of amazing people that like have amazing minds and are amazing directors that were like, no, like Tarantino's like stood up for him time and time again. And I just don't. I don't understand that. I don't understand why they're so attached to it. Like just just say you like Chinatown. Fuck off. Like leave it. Leave it there. Exactly. <laughs> you can like the movie. Don't you don't have to like the fucking director? It's no, I don't understand like why they are so behind them, but that's like a weird thing I've seen in Hollywood where it'd be something like as severe as like what Polanski has, like you know, is can go can go to jail for, or just something as simple as like the comments being said by directors about other movies, and mm. yet they're still getting all this work. And it's like I'm of the mind that like. I don't care what you do for a living or how great your movie repertoire is. You're not above any fucking thing. Never. Yeah. Be, being an asshole, saying comments you shouldn't be fucking saying or fucking rape for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Or being a child. Let's not forget that part. Yeah. I'm about to say in Victor <laughs> Salva's case, using your movies to rape children. No, in Polanski's yeah. case too. Like she yeah, was, and, she was like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. yeah. True. So it's like, Again, you know, I you're not I'm not offended by anyone that likes that movie or likes you know into other like forms of entertainment songs yeah. or games and whatnot. 
but the person involved is not above reproach. No. That they know they're a fucking human being. They they make money like I do. They take shits like I do. They eat like I do. Like they're a human fucking being. Yep. And honestly, you know, having seen most of Polanski's uh, filmography, he's more missed than hit. Honestly, like Repulsion, Fearless Vampire Killers, Knife in the Water. I don't really care for these films. So I I don't you know when he's good, he's really good. But when he's He's not good often. I just, I don't understand the, you know, the uh, reverence that he's kind of gathered over yeah. the decades. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So many people are so willing to forgive the rape of a 14 year old girl. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. Very bizarre. And they're like, no, I believe him. It's like, well, okay. All right. Fucking weird. That's the, yeah, it's just like the, the darkness of Hollywood. The darkness of the movie industry just shows so shows so much when when like he's brought up amongst amongst his peers amongst amongst his fellow directors it's very 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 unfortunate but uh you know i i am in the boat that rosemary and chinatown are just lights out movies after that to me there's a drop off i think the pianist is pretty good i think uh i like frantic a lot from the late 80s but i'm i'm with you connor where a lot of them are misses but those two, like any director could just have those two movies. And it's like, wow, like you, yeah. you, you gave something to cinema, something really valuable. So I, I'll always kind of uh, have respect for those two movies, but I do hate when I see his name in the credits. That's for sure. Uh, next guy. We, we only have four people all together to talk about. So this will be pretty brief, but this next guy I do love. Uh, he's become a, a favorite of mine. <clears throat> since starting this podcast and kind of diving into different things in the uh, 60s and 70s, and that's John Cassavetes. Cassavetes is nominated for three different roles as a worker in film. He's nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, The Dirty Dozen, amazing movie, 1967. Yeah. He was nominated for uh, Best Screenplay, uh, Faces, 1968. And then he was nominated for Best Director in 1974 for A Woman Under the Influence. I, I love this guy's work. You know, uh, if you are uh, Oscar Sunday faithful, then you know that Connor and I, our biggest disagreement ever on this show was Faces from 1968. I believe you gave it a five and I gave it a nine. I loved it. You hated it. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. Cassavetes is definitely a, uh, you know, he's, he's for a specific uh, fan group, I think. Uh, not everybody's going to enjoy it. A lot of close-ups, a lot of really close-up uh action going on a lot of just kind of meandering uh i just watched the killing of a chinese bookie from 1976 not too long ago and i was floored by it uh every time i watch one of his uh directed films i'm just kind of i just kind of re-fall in love with with the way he sees things the way he films things and the way he writes stuff good lord uh and then what he does in rosemary's baby his performance is fucking awesome in this movie he's a piece of shit. Guy Woodhouse is a piece of shit. One of the worst movie husbands ever. And he's gaslighting the absolute bejeebus out of his wife. And he's uh, the classic, oh, I'll, uh, I'll put on a face when there's, you know, when there's friends around, when there's, there, there's company. And I'll be like, oh, I'll be this nice husband who's awesome. And then behind closed doors, he is just a piece of shit. And he's putting in a great performance in this movie. Uh, he... He has my attention for sure as a, as a film creator and 
someone who also is a great actor. So uh, I love this guy. Austin, I, I love you like a brother. And overall, I trust your judgment. But I do not see it with Cassavetes. His film, <laughs> what I've seen, has been boring and pointless. And I just can't get into this guy. However, I do agree that his performances are quite enjoyable. Yes. But behind the camera, the dude is a self-indulgent, like, <laughs> fuck. And I just can't get into it. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> A self-indulgent fuck. Yeah. I, yeah, he is. He is. I'm, I can admit that. <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. Gloria from 1980. Fantastic. Opening night, 1977. I love that one. These are Husbands, 1970. Fucking awesome. I love his movies. I love them. And it's for that reason where I, I know this guy has this huge ego behind the camera of like, I am an artist. <laughs> it's so funny. I am an auteur. Yeah. Yeah. That is me. I watched Faces for this show, and I watched A Woman Under the Influence as additional prep, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm done with this guy. A Woman Under the Influence uh, A Woman Under the Influence is like two and a half hours, and if you don't like that style, you're fucked. <laughs> I was fucked for two and a half hours. <laughs> uh, I think I watched that first, and I was like, and this isn't even the one I need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at least faces is a little bit shorter. Yeah, <laughs> like ten minutes shorter. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, ten minutes is ten minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, you know what? I will stay neutral because I'm not as like I haven't seen a lot of Casper stuff. So don't worry, I'm not citing another My, one here. I'm I firmly to- believe that I should only complain about movies I've seen. So. I'll bitch about these two, but, you know, admittedly, I have not watched the rest of the catalog. I don't really plan to, but, you know, if Gloria finds its way here, I will watch it. Gloria is great. You would, I think you would actually like, that one's got a much better pace and is like an actual, is like a legitimate plot about, about a lady who's like trying to keep a kid from getting killed by the mob. So yeah, it's really, that one's really good. I, I- I will agree that Castaways is knocked out in this movie when it comes to like, just, like you said, playing that husband that's just absolutely gaslighting the shit out of his wife. Yeah. Like, in, especially if you know what's going on in the movie, right? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Like, third time, it's almost infuriating. You're like, dude, like, just, oh, it's, it's like, you want to punch him. Like, you just want to be like, yes, yeah. Your fucking wife like this, just because you want your career as a shitty actor, apparently, to take well, I love off. that even Satan was like, well, all right, I'll get you a, a local play. How about that? <laughs> even he couldn't really you know he couldn't make him a superstar but he like blinded some like community theater guy and is like all right you can have that role and we'll see how you do from there was it worth it, guy you can have this but i'm fucking your wife guy <laughs> yeah i love that his name is guy it's just perfect it's perfect i love it yeah he's great he's great and and rosemary i think he's a an essential piece to the, this whole this whole puzzle that is just wicked dark uh so is ruth gordon holy fucking shit ruth gordon won an oscar for her role uh as minnie and rosemary's baby 1968 uh, she was nominated for actress in a supporting role inside daisy clover 1965 uh she was nominated for best screenplay in 1952 for pat and mike nominated again for screenplay in 1950 uh 1949 for Adam's rib and then 1947 for a double life. So a yeah. writer and an actress, just like, uh, 
just like Cassavetes, I would love to dive into more of her work. She is to me, the most like horrifying figure in this movie until you see the devil. Uh, Minnie right away, just the makeup, the, the wardrobe she has just freaks me out and is kind of one of those old ladies who is way too inclusive. Uh, and she forces herself into situations. And I, I love some of the lines that, uh, that uh, Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes have early on about the older couple. And then, you know, obviously guy gets totally suckered in and you're like, dude, how could you not look at Minnie and just be like, fuck this. I don't want to hang out with this lady. She's fucking crazy. Yeah, she's the neighbor from hell. Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> un- <laughs> nice. Pun, pun unintended. But um, yeah, I hate anybody who tries to horn in on like who invites people who invite themselves to your thing are like the worst. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, just but I love at the beginning how guy is like, do we need to go have dinner with them? And then immediately after the dinner, he's like, these are my greatest friends of all time. And how dare you be rude to them? like you should know there's something going on there uh but yeah the whole film she's just you know taking charge of uh rosemary's pregnancy but like in a way that makes it look like it's not really her idea she's an a master manipulator probably learned it from her husband and uh the ultimate reveal i love is like she's not really like any different like that's my favorite weirdest part of this is the satanists aren't like super evil they're just like you know hey you want to be its mom like you did a good job yeah <laughs> we, we want to include you you did you're like you're great except for that one lady who's like you know we'll kill you milk or no milk which was we'll a just, odd don't throw that lady out the window later i'll get rid of her <laughs> i love that roman was like hey you'd be nice <laughs> but yeah it's, they're so hey, weird and mean <laughs> Uh, yeah it's the best thing about this movie is like how well it constructs the overall like tone of you know what exactly are they up to and why because the whole thing of like satan at first you know it sounds silly like you know satan's after me he wants my baby and the witches in my apartment building are behind it like nobody's gonna buy that even like, you know, the first time I watched it, I was thinking like, she really is losing her mind. Like something's gone wrong here. And even in the end, you know, you don't see the baby. You, that could just be her constructing a kind of, you know, elaborate fantasy to cope with the idea that she did lose the baby because she went a little nuts. Yeah. It could be, but it's probably the baby. It's probably the demon baby. Oh, it's definitely the devil. But yeah, I like but I see of, what you're saying, yeah. I like thinking like, this could be something else, but yeah, I, Ruth Gordon, uh, her performance is, is quite electric because she plays every neighbor you hope you don't have. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm look, I'm not, if it's not, this probably not surprising anyone. I'm not exactly what one calls a people person. <laughs> yeah. Join the club. We got jackets. Yeah. Um, so like, ha- like God, a character like her bugs the living fuck out of me. Cause I'm very much like, look, look, this is me. Right. I get off her, I go home, fuck off. Unless you're going to text me or something, just leave me alone. I don't, I don't want to deal with you. My best I, friend, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. 
People wonder why I'm still single sometimes. But we built an I, entire uh, friendship over "fuck off" and "leave me alone." I'm, 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 I'm with that. I definitely. My thing is also these characters. They, they, there's no way for them, the Woodhouse couple, to even like get through a fucking movie without this fucking annoying neighbor just knocking on their door, like, "Here, I have some chocolate mousse." Like. <sighs> Let me watch my goddamn film, okay? <laughs> Get someone, the hell out of here. Someone like that, you'd probably be getting ready to go to a movie, go see a movie. You'd be like in the midst of buying your ticket. We're going to say it's 2021 right now. Not the shitty Rosemary's remake. This oh. fancy what we're living in. Yeah. Um, but 2021, right? You're just ordering your ticket online. She's just barges in. What movie are you seeing? Why are you... We'll go. We'll all go. We'll make it a big thing. It'll be fun. Like, no, be fun. No, no, no. I'll be like, oh, you know what? You know what? I'll just watch on HBO Max. It's fine. Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. I this, would make a deal with the solitary. devil to avoid these people. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what my deal would be like. All right, Satan, you can have my firstborn child. Just make sure I never see these fucking people again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd be, be like, like saying, I don't care what you have to do to me. Just fucking get rid of these neighbors. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. My, the worst part for me was when Minnie brings her friend to see the apartment that her oh, like, old friend God. used to have. Like that's something you do. What the fuck? Who thinks like that? Look, man, I have literally I've had people like start to invite themselves, and I'm just like, oh, 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 oh. I'm doing something. Usually I'm not, yeah. but I'm like, yeah, I'm doing something. I only do it to like you guys. Cause I know you well and you're good friends of mine, but I would never do that to like my neighbor. <laughs> who I barely know. Like that's yeah. horrific. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but that said, yes, great performance from, from her. Cause dear God, like, yeah, she's clearly had an effect on us. <laughs> yes. I think. More so now that I'm older and I realize how much I'm just not a people person. And then I see her character, I'm like, gosh, she's like everything I hate. Is <laughs> reaction one person? She gives Satanists a bad, just a bad rap. Yeah, yeah, I've heard Satanists are actually kind of chill people. And Pretty nice. Many, many, many is just giving them a bad name. Uh, <laughs> you know who's also giving them a bad name is Ralph Bellamy, mm. who plays Doctor Saperstein. What a piece of garbage. <laughs> You call horrible. yourself a doctor. Hor- horrible doctor. Uh, good performance in the movie, though. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role in 1937, The Awful Truth. And then he got an honorary award in 1987 for his unique artistry and his distinguished service to the profession of acting. <laughs> Fucking stupid. I hate those honorary awards. Like, okay. You know, and he... Luckily, he was here when that happened. You know, he died in 1991, so he was still alive when he got his honorary award but just because you didn't give him his stuff when he was doing his best work doesn't mean you can just fucking put a blanket on top of it and say here you go like that's what they do with david lynch not too long ago and it's like okay just just give him give him an actual award not just this this you know participation type trophy stupid yep you hang around long enough someone's gonna give you a statue yeah i probably did that with uh i kind of felt like that's what they did to Leo with uh, the Revenant. I, I disagree. I'm not saying he wasn't great in that movie, but there's a lot of movies I was like, he could have given it for him for this one. Yeah, and True. he also should be Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, he's better in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood than Joaquin is in Joker. It's just always going to be my opinion. I think 
the Academy missed out on Leo's best performance of his whole career as Rick Dalton. He's just fucking incredible in that movie. And I agree with you. I think there's stuff earlier than the Revenant that he's just lights out in, uh, but he, you know, he came up during a time when there's also, you know, guys like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Matt Damon and George Clooney and Brad Pitt and all these guys are just monster, huge, huge superstars. And uh, it's, it's competitive for sure. But Leo, Leo's great. <laughs> the Revenant is such a good movie. <laughs> it is. And look, I'm, I'm glad he got it. I was very happy to finally hear his name. I was like, oh my gosh, finally. That movie has horror elements. Shit, we could have thrown that into the bracket. <laughs> yeah. That, that bear attack scene is one of the most horrific things I think I've seen in movies. Like, God damn. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Good Lord. Oh, well, uh, those are some, those are some cast members that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Real quick. You know, what's Real up? quick. I do want to shout out Ralph Bellamy as one half of the Duke brothers in trading places. Randolph Duke uh, blew my mind. I didn't know that was the same guy. And I was like, I know that face. And I looked him up I'm like, holy shit, that is Randolph Duke, brother of Mortimer Duke. Donna Maitre, such a great movie. Trading Places is fucking hilarious. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's- oh, yeah. I love Trading Places, yeah. yeah. <sighs> great stuff. Trading Places and Misery. Those are your next two movies, Caleb, to, to check out. And also, right. th- this fucker was in The Wolfman. I mean. Oh, there you go. How awesome is that? What a hell of a career. Yeah, sounds sounds awesome. Sap- Saperstein is a it's a good performance. Like he's really effective for the short time he's in, and some of the most terrifying scenes in Rosemary's Baby are when he's involved. And you're like, uh, oh, I mean, this doctor who's yeah. you know well renowned in New York City, just fucking with people like this. It's just really crazy. Uh, it shows it shows uh you know when you're gullible. And you just want to get through something and take it, you know, take a recommendation from somebody when it comes to doctors, you just, you just kind of go with the flow and it can kind of fuck up your whole life. So <laughs> be careful. I think uh, <laughs> it really kind of like, like you're saying, it really speaks to the horror of like, unlike a lot of people nowadays, back then when you believed your goddamn doctor, cause they have the degree and the title, yeah. um, but you know, like this is a trusted figure in a field of medicine that's abusing that power that's using it to continue that gas line that manipulation to get yeah. her where she he needs her to be and that is so like when you realize that it's so insanely terrifying because it's like if you she can't go to her annoying ass neighbor she can't go to her husband she can't go to her fucking doctor because yeah. the one person that should be trusted a medical professional is using that against her. Brilliant. Brilliant yeah. stuff. That's like the strongest part of the plot is that she has nowhere to turn. And the one place she does have to turn, that fucker dies, you know? So it's like, you know, you just have no no way out. Uh, so amazing. That's one of the best things about horror too is entrapment, 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 making people feel like they can't even, you know, they're just always sinking. And that's, uh, that's a unrelenting feeling in Rosemary's Baby. Uh, it was only nominated for two Oscars. Uh, of course, Ruth Gordon won, uh, but it was also nominated for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, so it went against uh, Rachel, Rachel, uh, Oliver, the Best Picture winner from that year, The Odd Couple, and the winner, The Lion in Winter. Uh, I've only seen two of these. Uh, I've seen Oliver, the Best Picture winner, and it's just not my cup of tea. 
And, uh, you know, I don't really have much of a say if I were to be, to be voting, but Rosemary's Baby has a wicked strong uh, screenplay. And I would love to read the novel uh, one day by, I think his name's Ira Levin. I think is yeah. how you say it. Yeah. I've only seen Rosemary from this category, but The Lion in Winter has been on my list for quite some time. I it's know gonna I'm going to love that. On, it's going to come up on this show because that is, of course, when uh, Best Actress was shared by Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand. Catherine Hepburn and Lion Winter and Bar- uh, Barbara Streisand and, and Funny Girl. And they shared that Best Actress win. So I would love to figure out why and watch both movies and kind of do a showdown between those two. Yeah, absolutely. That would be awesome. Uh, let's go through uh, Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, Supporting Actress. Uh, you know, you know, Ruth Gordon got the win for Rosemary's Baby. Uh, Lynn Carlin in Faces, Connor's favorite movie of all time. Uh, Sandra Locke in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Kay Medford in Funny Girl, and Estelle Parsons in Rachel Rachel. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to say here other than Lynn Carlin and Ruth Gordon, and I would definitely give it to Ruth Gordon. She's, again, she, we talked about her for like eight minutes, just what she does is many, because she's so effective. And I love scary, weird supporting roles in movies that just kind of steal, steal the show while they're on the screen. And she does that like a few times. She steals the show. Yeah, I'm surprised Mia Farrow wasn't up for Best Actress or Cassavetes for Best Mia Supporting Farrow Actress. Mia doesn't have any Oscar nominations ever. Isn't that crazy? Honestly, that could be Frank Sinatra just fucking with her career. Could be. Could Probably. be. Yeah, that... Wow, I didn't know that. That's insane. Yeah, she's such a well-known actress. Like, I think most people know who she is. Like, most movie fans know who she is. And yet she doesn't have anything to show for when it comes to the Academy, but she's great in almost everything I've seen her in. Uh, I really like her. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. She's had a hell of a personal life. Yeah. With uh, Frank and then fucking Woody Allen. Just all the, yeah, I don't even know what to, what to say about her. Some of the creepy guys in Hollywood is what you're saying. Well, Frank was just like, you know, really abusive and constantly telling her like, you know, you're never going to amount to anything in this town, baby. And things like that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. that's my Frank Sinatra impression for, for the night. But, um, and then Woody Allen was just, you know, screwing his like adopted daughter and whatever the fuck. So Mia's just had a rough go of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's great in this. Yes. And in a lot of stuff I've seen her in. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, you guys want to give out some awards to Rosemary's Baby? Why not? Sure. And get the get the hell out of here. Uh, let's see. We got the Tarantino Award for best best quote from the movie. We have the Ennio Morricone Award for best music moment. Uh, we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the movie. And then we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene. So, Connor, I'll let you start us off. Then, Caleb, you can go, and I'll finish finish us off. Okay. Um, I have two lines, one that made me laugh and one that unsettled me. Um, Perfect. My first one is the one that made me laugh. It's when um, Rosemary gets her hair cut and has the unfortunate realization that she does not look great, uh, which I disagree. Um, I, I, I like short hair, but anyway. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, she's, she just laments to herself, like, I look awful. And Guy gives her the unfortunate uh, compliment of what are you talking about? You look great. It's that haircut that looks awful. 
not, not the pep talk you think it is, guy. <laughs> yeah, asshole. Yeah. Husband that is something someone named Guy would say. If if you're named Guy, that means your parents gave up before you were even born. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic I'm it right now <laughs> i'm just picturing the doctor that's handing finished. her the baby and being like congratulations it's a guy <laughs> it's, that's great uh, and then my other line is when rosemary comes back from dr saperstein's office realizing that he is in on it too and she goes to the phone booth and tries to call dr hill and mutters to oh. herself all of them all of them, all in it together. All of them, all of them witches. Yeah. Oh, dude, like, that scene is fucking amazing. The phone booth scene is so good. Uh, you, just, you feel that you know it's all—it's a perfect setting because it's all closing in on her. The realization that she's not safe anywhere, that there's nobody to confide in, she is alone. And the, like using the phone booth to express that was fucking brilliant. You see her kind of like it's like a mental crack. You like you kind of see when she's doing that, she's cracking a little, understandably cracking a little bit. Like it's hitting her like she can't go anywhere. And it's like when she does that, you know, all of them all, and like it's her like verbalizing, fucking damn near losing it in that moment. Mm -hmm. Great, so good, great choices. Thank you. Oh yeah, so. I maxed out with three quotes. Um, <laughs> I know. I just, I'm really surprised at the fact this because like so I started out not liking this movie and here I am like it's fucking great. Uh, the first line I'll get out of the way because it's like the most iconic line. I could not help myself, but it's you know what have you done to its eyes? Yeah. Um, so what good. I act- what I actually really liked about that line, other than you know we all know how iconic it is. Everyone knows the fucking line. She doesn't say him. She doesn't say her. She says it's. Yeah. Yeah. There's something bone chilling about hearing that, that she, like, what the fuck does that thing look like in there? And what are the eyes you speak of to not refer to it in any gender whatsoever to say, what have you done to its eyes? Like, and like not identifying it as your child. It, I think there's a lot more to this line than we give it credit for. Uh, yeah, that's great, great choice. Yeah, and so well delivered by Mia Farrow. Just oh. she's so freaked out at this point, <laughs> so fed up. She's freaked out. She's clearly broken at this point. I feel like she's yeah. just, just done. I love when Guy tries to tell her, like, "Don't worry, we're gonna be on top, me and you," and she just spits in his face. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. How did you think this was gonna go? She's going to be like, oh, it's fine. I'm totally willing to give my baby to the satanic cult so you can be a Hollywood star guy. It's your dream. It's yeah. okay, guy. You, you let asshole. Fuck me. It's fine. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh. Um, actually, speaking of sane fucking, um, at least my next slide. <laughs> Don't you love it when I'm on the show? <laughs> <laughs> there are no lines. <laughs> and that is when as it's happening, the sex with the demon, the devil is happening. 
Yeah. And she realizes it. And her line is, this is no dream. This is happening. <laughs> I know we're laughing now, but in the moment, it's a it's such a well-delivered line by her. Yeah. Like, this realization of like, holy shit, this isn't a nightmare. What I'm experiencing is real. This is going down. Yeah, yeah. that's when she decides to believe it, to like swallow it, process it. Okay, this is happening. Like this is this this is my reality now and I have to live in it and figure out a way out. Oh, and then she wakes up and Christ almighty. I mean, when Cassavetes, when Guy is like, "Oh yeah, I didn't want to miss baby night, you know?" And it, it was kind of kind of cool. I actually kind of liked it. You're like, "What the yeah, fuck is wrong?" His exact that? phrasing is it was neat in a necrophiliac kind of way. Yes. What the fuck, guy? Yeah, what? <laughs> Wow. And then when he's like, you know, she sees the scratches and he's like, oh, don't worry. I already filed them down. Like, (sighs) God. Oh, yeah. The lines after and like so that line, it's just like, it's all icky, but it's just like, oh, yeah. Just, I feel like I have to take a shower after watching this movie. I'm like, oh, fucking gross ass people. (laughs) Unfortunately, I didn't do that. I just went straight to sleep because I was tired. (laughs) I watched Scream 3 after, so... I watched The Father. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm, a, I guess I'm the... Yeah, I guess I'm the monster here, because I just went straight to sleep, watched nothing. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and as for my final line, it's actually going back to the end, and it, it's a line that affects me in a weird way, is when... um. He's trying to, you know, Minnie's husband's trying to convince Rosemary to be the mother, and that's all he wants, just be the mother. And he keeps telling her, just be his mother. That's the line I wrote, just be his mother. Something so insanely creepy where it's like him just saying those four words, it's like almost like saying, you're not done. You're not out. Yeah. We want you to raise this child. We want you to be his mother. And again, again, that difference, right? She refers to it as it's, he's already calling it his. Just be his mother. It, it is your baby. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I would Just love kind of- a follow-up where we get to see Rosemary sue Satan for child support. <sighs> I'd watch that. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when Satan gets to go be like, this is no dream. This is happening. What the <laughs> maybe, maybe she, you know, stole the baby and gave him up for adoption to get him away from these people, and that baby was adopted by, you know, Ambassador Robert Thorne. There you go. Boom. Prequel to the Omen confirmed right here. What if the sequel to the Rosemary's Fairies is this is the end? He just grew up and just ended the war. <laughs> there actually is a sequel. Look, look what happened to Rosemary's baby. I've never seen it. I've heard it's terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's like a straight to TV or some shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. There's also that TV show that was like a four-part miniseries with, uh, I think it's Zoe Saldana. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years ago. Just stay away from this one. But one of the best things that this movie does is it has a good, solid, scary ending. It's no, It's not like, oh, we're open to franchising. Or, oh, we're open to a sequel. It's like, no, no, you saw it here. Two hours. Get the hell out, you know? And I love love when a horror movie sticks to its guns like that. Oh, 
my Tarantino goes to uh, goes to Guy John Cassavetes, and it's uh, towards the beginning of the film. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. I love foreshadowing in movies. I love it. Uh, it I feel like it happens all the time. Uh, you know, on the camera. Uh, you know, on the set, off the set. I think the movie world is just this nasty kind of turning thing that constantly history constantly repeats itself and, and is always, always kind of shining a light on what's about to happen. And Guy Woodhouse is in the beginning of the movie, you know, it's, it's him that is like, let's stay away from these old people. Like, why are we, why, why are we even entertaining this? You know, like, what's the point of this? And there's a moment where, uh, you know, another great, very well delivered stuff by Mia Farrow and Cassavetes when, when they're kind of just hanging out, listening to music. He's, you know, he's smoking and reading the newspaper or whatever. And he says, uh, if we get friendly with an old couple like that, we'll never get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, How true. No shit, guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then by the end of the movie, he's the one who keeps going over there. You know, when they find out that she's pregnant, he goes over and tells them and she's not even with him, Rosemary. And it's incredible, incredible stuff that at first he's the one who's like, no, let's have our privacy. Let's, you know, let's not get them in every little part of our lives, lives. And then he's the one who gets suckered into being a full on Satanist and is now now a complete wacko who thinks that this is the right thing to do, you know, and uh you know, gets a couple gets a couple roles because of it uh, in his acting life. What a fucking idiot! It makes me think like, how far back does his involvement go? Like, did he get contacted by these guys? Is that why they moved into this building? Like, did they knock off the old lady so they could have the apartment? Like, I don't know. You know, this the grands like you know, it's hard to see the where the reality ends and the scheme begins and i think that's fascinating uh, oh, oh yeah like when their the roommate is on the fucking pavement yeah after originally meets her remember like the next day yeah or next night i should say it yeah it's really wild like when did this begin when was this set in motion well yeah. she was clearly supposed to be the vessel before rosemary showed up but i guess rosemary you know was probably younger more chance of a healthy baby so they're like all right new plan that could be it you think Satan had to say he was like i want that one instead satan yeah. is into blondes i think that we can confirm that Satan's like look i like your first try here but i'm really liking the blonde let's i'm just picturing the devil talking to roman and being like look she's got a great personality yeah <laughs> i like her taste in music yeah <laughs> Kind of a dick. I'll just make it seem like he's good with my deal, but really, I want her. God, <laughs> so good. Oh man, uh, he just keeps making fun of guy all the time. Yeah, yeah. Just that guy's a fucking ass. Yeah, I mean, he straight up, you know, cucks him in this movie. So I would imagine he's yeah, you know, he's ribbing him the whole time. I love that part uh, when they're having their party and guys talking to some of their friends and they're like, yeah, good job, man. And he's like, oh, nothing to it. <laughs> Literally nothing to it. He didn't do shit. He just stood there naked with the rest of the other Satan worshippers and they, they watched. Satan uh, just made eye contact with them the entire yeah. time. Never <laughs> once looked at Rosemary. Just... I'm looking at you, guy. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this screenplay is really good. 
really effective and very, very dark at times and foreshadowing throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the annual Morricone Award. This one's also tough. Connor, get us going. Um, before I do, I just want to ask one question. And I know this is going to make Caleb laugh, considering I already have a track record when it comes to babies on the podcast. But do you think that Rosemary eventually killed that baby? No. All right. No, I think I think at the end, you know, when she like has a moment of looking down and she's like, oh, I think I want to kill myself. She's like, this is ridiculous. I want to get out of here. I think when she sees that other fucking wild, crazy bitch rocking the rocking the it baby too fast, the you know the simple mother instincts kick in. I birthed that. I you're rocking him too fast. I have to be the one to take care of him. It's like she got stuck, you know, because of guy. There's a guy and his his fucking antics, and now now she's like, I have to be a mother, you know, and she's not gonna have another baby with guy. That's for sure. So I don't know. Maybe this is the only baby she ever has. Her only, her, her only living son. I can't imagine birthing the devil's kid does wonders for the plumbing. So probably not. Also, yeah. Her and Satan are exclusive now. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> their Facebook status is uh, yeah, is uh, you know, they're together. Yeah, no it's longer. Com- it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. No one, no one has a steady relationship with the devil. But yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it would have been cool if at the end of this she just grabs a baby and leaps out the fucking window. Oh, we, we know your stance on babies, Connor. We know <laughs> you're the baby wrangler. Hey, we in this case, I'm justified. This is Satan's baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm keeping babies away from you, sir. <laughs> okay. I just I needed to get that out. Oh, <laughs> so my uh, Morcone is at the um, the uh, actual devil rape scene, which is really ethereal and freaky. But the music is so dreamlike that it kind of makes you wonder, like, it, was there just some crazy shit in the moose that's making her think this is happening? Is Guy really just really into some dark ass cosplay shit or like what is going on and the music adds to that and really just kind of you know it's like a dark fairy tale kind of thing and i really thought that was brilliant yeah yeah it's a incredible track i it's just titled dream that's what it's titled on the on the score christoph comita is like putting in a really cool really cool score for this movie i think one i think one of my one of the first things I fell in love with with this movie was just how it sounds uh, and how it kind of counters everything that's happening. You know, like you said, you're in, you're in the darkest moment of the movie yet you feel like you're, you're like in fucking Willy Wonka or something. You're like, what's happening? Why, why is this matched with this? And just simply going against the grain, going against the, you know, what's popular in movies. Cause this should be a very frightening piece of music. It's like, no, actually, let's pair it with something to kind of mess with the audience's emotions, mess with what they think is happening. That's a great pick. Well, what I love about that pick is that he does it for all the dream sequences. Each dream sequence, he does that score 
to lower you, to pull you in. Yes. Almost like lower your sense of security so that when it finally does get to that sequence of uh, devil fornication, if you will, you're like, you're sitting there going, what the fuck is happening right now? Why am I watching this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, the score is so haunting because it's so innocent. It's weird. It's such a great uh, antithesis to the film. Yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant stuff. Caleb, what do you got? Uh, for me, I actually went with the uh, the main song they play both at the opening and close of the film. That la la la, la. yeah. It... La, la, la. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys picked that. I wanted to talk about that so much. Hey, it's Mia Farrow. That's Mia Farrow doing the la la la. It's so cool. I didn't know that. Um, ah. So like right, for me, why I picked it uh, personally is it's the perfect summation in music of the film. It has, it has that sweet la la to, you know, again, give you that more like lull you into like this false sense of security, but there's a weird with the way the music, it's just a tad bit offbeat, tad bit off key. To make you go, something's wrong here. Something's not right. And it's subtle, and much like the film, it's subtle. It's not very in your face. You're just like, okay, this is like the picture perfect, you know, Americana family, but something's not right. And that's what I really liked about that score. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, me too. I fell in love with even the first time I watched this movie and when I was uh, kind of going into it with my, with my own <clears throat> thoughts on Polanski and just kind of being angry at him and being like, okay, well, I have to watch this movie because it's a classic horror movie, but fuck him. Even I was just suckered in by those opening shots of New York and the lot, the creepy, creepy, creepy undertone and the la la la's. And I was like, who is that? And she's even credited on, you know, Spotify and, Apple Music, all that stuff you see, you know, Christoph Comida, and you see basically featuring Mia Farrow. Really cool. And it it's it starts and ends the movie perfectly, you know. It's uh it's what I think of when I think of Rosemary's baby is the la la la. You know, I that's what goes on in my head when I'm thinking about the movie, and then I'm like, oh fuck, I want to watch it now, you know. That's where I'm at now. I I really do love this movie uh, at this point. Yeah. I think it's I think it's just super effective on all uh, hitting on all cylinders. This is the lullaby that she sings to the devil's child. Yeah. Like that's ex- it just it feels like that. It's so haunting. Yeah, well it, it's called Lullaby from Rosemary's Baby. You know, so there you go. Perfect. Oh. <laughs> Great picks. I I knew so I knew one of you guys was going to grab that one. So I wanted to bring up another piece of the score, but I definitely thought about that one for sure. It's brilliant. The other, the other one I considered is the one when uh, it's called Through the Closet, and it's when uh, Rosemary gets the knife and is like, I'm going to find out what's on the other side of this wall, yeah. and no one's going to fucking stop me. And she walks in, and, you know, Guy sees her, and he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad they made good on the closet from the beginning of, like, you know, why did mm-hmm. she block this closet? Like, I'm, fi- I'm so glad we got closure on that one great hell yeah <laughs> great stuff all right this is my this is probably my favorite award to hand out it's the philip seymour hoffman award for the best performance of the movie who do you got connor um it's there's there was no one else who was going to take this it's mia farrow mia farrow she is oh, bro. just I just, 
I put her too. Yeah. It's just, she brings this, this unfortunate innocence to this story. Like she's so pure and so, you know, unassuming that everyone can manipulate her with ease until she finally starts catching on. And by the time she catches on, it's too late to do anything about it. It's, it's so sad. And, you know, all she wanted was a child and the Satanist and the devil took that away from her. Like, I doubt she can have kids again. Uh, And her husband, you know, manipulated her, lied to her, used her. And it's just, it's, it's difficult watching her kind of realize how much exactly she's lost, but she plays that so perfectly. She plays, she plays innocence and like, you know, she plays it with a strength that really services the movie in the best way. So I think that she did a great job and Cassavetes probably would have been my second choice. Uh, but Mia Farrow pretty much makes this movie as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Cassavetes, the only argument he has <clears throat> is that Mia Farrow's on the screen pretty much the entire movie. With Cassavetes, what he's doing as Guy, he's basically picking up at different places in his beliefs as a Satanist at this point. So every time we see him come back into the apartment, come back into, into, the, into the screen with Mia Farrow, Cassavetes is bringing like an extra layer of demonic each time. And it's frightening how good he is at it, how good he is, how good Cassavetes is at just playing everything off like it's normal. Like, no, it'll be fine. No, it'll be fine. No, it'll be fine. No, it'll be fine. No, 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 you're good. No, 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 it's fine. And then, you know, after they have their party and he's like, is that what those no good bitches were talking to you about? You know, he kind of explodes. You're like, where'd this come from? And you're like, okay, this guy's panicking now. You know, he's like, "Uh uh-oh, something, you know, I can't let this happen. Otherwise I will lose my, my deal with the devil. (laughs) And it's, it's a layered performance from Cassavetes. It's very, very strong performance, but I agree with you. I think Mia, you know, it's her job to carry this movie as Rosemary. It's called Rosemary's baby. You know, it's, she's got to carry this movie to term. Yeah. Yeah. She (laughs) literally does. And it's, and it's the devil. You know, so you you just have to give her props. And the fact that she wasn't recognized by the Academy is is crazy. She 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 got a BAFTA nominee over in England because they know what the hell is up. But I I think she's you know putting in one of the more iconic uh female horror performances that we've ever seen. And you know, she deserves that she deserves that Philip Seymour Hoffman award for sure. Yeah, no, she is uh yeah, she's lights out in this movie. And I was like, oh, there's no competition for me when I was watching this. And what's funny is that when I remember when I first saw this movie, right, when I didn't like it, she annoyed the shit out of me as a kid. I remember thinking, like, oh, she's whiny, she's annoying. Like, God damn, I don't like this. But this time, watching it, was like a, just like the movie was a complete 180. I was like, God damn, she is wonderful in this movie. Because so like you said, the way she's balancing all these different emotions throughout this movie and carrying this film from her beginning in a sense of being a generally nice, good human being to then her realization that she's being, you know, very much gaslit and all and like trying to figure out what's going on to like, I think to me, my favorite portion of her performance is kind of like as we're getting towards the end and you're seeing like that sense of hope that she can beat this, but also her frustration 
at every corner finding out, oh my God, this person's involved, now this person's involved. And you can, and that growing sense of like frustration and hopelessness is some to me her finest moments in the film. Because she does so great. For me, the the defining moment is when she realizes that Dr. Hill has betrayed her and called Saperstein and her husband. And she just doesn't say a word. She's just like kind of glaring, but like really trying hard not to cry. It's it's perfect. It's a perfect look and feel of defeat of like, yeah. it's over. They won. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mia Farrell. We love you here. Uh, your, your performance in this movie means a lot. And, and it's not often enough that someone gets to uh, a female performer gets to shine like that in a movie going through every emotion, you know, going through every little thing that a human can go through. And, and, you know, the paranoia stuff is like, she just has it down to a T. Like the scene in the phone booth is like, what? And she starts faking like she's talking to somebody else. She's like, no, 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 no way. <laughs> You're like, ah. And then when she sees that guy standing right there and she fucking shrinks down and, you know, is, is at a loss. She's at a loss of what to do. She's like, Dr. Hill, please call back. Please call back. Like he's, he's her only lifeline. And like you said, Connor, when she realizes that her lifeline's gone, that this is this is hundred percent my reality. Uh, it's it's kind of a tour de force what she's doing in this movie. So definitely gets the PSH. Um, the Deacons. This will be interesting. I'm excited to hear what you guys have. Uh, Connor, go ahead. I picked this scene because the first time I watched this, I got so fucking unnerved that it surprised me. I was like, "What? Where did this come from?" and it's the scene where um, soon after Hutch gives her the book, all of them witches, uh, she starts to realize that Roman Castavet is not who he says he is. Mm. And she puts his name down with Scrabble tiles, or she puts Stephen Marcato's name down, the son of the Satanist who was beaten to death in the building, and realizes that Stephen Marcato spells out Roman Castavet when rearranged. Something about that freaked me the fuck out i don't know what it was but it was like just it was the beginning of the unraveling of just how much these people have influenced and like forced themselves into her life for her baby and why and it really like it was a turning point for me it was like the movie was kind of a pretty straightforward drama up to there but it was a hard shift into horror from then on in yeah and i just i got goosebumps i was like getting a little paranoid myself i don't know what happened but that bit really upset me and i loved that so i knew that's what it was going to be going in on the second watch great pick caleb what's your what's your deacons here all right so we'll actually toss up between two scenes i was like really deciding on this and i'm going to go with the very much iconic what i called earlier devil fornication scene because up until I, I know this probably this makes me sound to people who don't know me very well, but <laughs> up to this point, the movie is a fairly straightforward drama for the most part. Then there might be little hints here and there, stuff going on, but fairly straightforward. And then, like you said, the music and the dream starts playing. And she had that mention of like the, uh, I think it was the chocolate mousse or that dumb, that whatever shit, yeah, chocolate yeah, mousse. Right forward, like, yeah, it tastes a little chalky. Like, so you're like, something shouldn't taste like that, right? 
And then you have this stream sequence and you're like, what the fuck's going on? And the next thing you know, it looks like the devil's coming onto screen and is having sex with her. And was surprisingly for like the 60s, pretty graphic. Like I'm yeah, like, especially watching it like now, I was like, I'm actually really surprised I got away with this scene. Like, holy fuck. Um, and it's just like like you know, like I said with the line dialogue, like this is you know, this is real, this is happening. The movie, like you said, like whereas like we're kind of saying his scene is the unraveling begins. This is when the film flips into fucking horror and just goes, All right, this is the film you're watching, and it just makes that shift right there on a dime. Yeah. Oh Jesus, yeah. That's a that's a moment in the movie I'll never be able to kind of shake, I think. Yeah. It's one of the first one of the first things I think about always, you know. I'm thinking about horror, 60s horror, and Rosemary's baby. Fuck. Yeah. I just when I was pissing, I was like, God, if anyone hears this, they're gonna be like, that that that's the scene you want to pick. I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. No, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think your explanation is 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 pretty much right, you know. I don't I think anyone who's gonna try to you know, I think it's I think it's a defense mechanism people have with horror movies to not just admit that the most fucked up thing is the most fucked up and the best part of the movie. You know, that's that's why we watch the genre, you know, is to be floored by stuff. And so I'm not I'm with you. It's one of the best parts of the movie, one of the most effective parts anyway. Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. Rosemary's Baby's really good. And isn't it? What do you guys give it a nine? Uh, an eight? I'm going to give it an eight. And this is, I would say, if also if, when I first saw it, I probably would have actually given this movie like a four when I first saw it. Like, that's how much I did not like this movie. Damn. But now, like, I'm, I'm giving it an eight, a solid eight. Okay. Yeah. It's a solid eight for me as well. Uh, okay. It's creepy. It's memorable. And um, I, I think it's brilliant. And yeah, a couple more viewings might push this up. Interesting. I've had it as a 10 for a long time now. Uh, five stars on Letterboxd, you know, I think it's, I just don't, yeah, I don't see anything like to complain about with Rosemary's Baby. I think it's just pretty much perfect. I love it. Love it so much. My, my favorite scene, this one's really hard. I, it's changed. I've been thinking about this all day while I was at work and getting kind of prepared for this. Uh, I think that moment when all of the Satanists come into her room when she's about to give birth. And for there's a small second there where she's on the phone and then you see two people like go behind her in the hallway and you're like, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> so creepy. All, and then they all appear, you know, I'm just getting chills right now kind of thinking about it. Uh, that's subtlety in horror. It's one of my favorite things. I love attack on the senses, but I love, I love when you can subtly just fuck with me and give me things to look at, you know, all over the screen, not just me a Pharaoh, but what's going on behind her, what's happening at this apartment. And that particular scene, when you know, you know, the whole time this is coming, you know, they're going to steal this baby from her. You know, I, I would, I would say that that, that moment in the movie and when she decides to stop taking the medication and starts putting it in those little cracks next to her bed, she starts putting the pills. She starts kind of lining them up and she becomes less groggy. 
and she's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking on top of this now. You bastards. Like y'all been drugging me long enough. I'm, I'm going to take control of my situation. I love that whole run of the movie. It just, it totally captures my mind, but Connor, like you, the Scrabble scene is like so fucking original and so out of left field. I fucking love it. And the, the devil fornication scene is like nothing you will ever see. And it's done too well. I don't really get it. This is one of those Polanski scenes where I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, uh, why is this, why is this so good? (laughs) Why is this scene so captivating and so goddamn real and so authentic, you know? And, and, you know, the fucker's name is Roman, you know, Roman cast of it. Like, ah, damn it. Yeah, it, it's Sucks. one of those scenes where, like, out of context, you sound like a monster. And you're like, "What's your favorite scene?" Monster? And like, oh, when the devil fucks her, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah. if you watch the movie, you understand why that scene has become so well known. Outside of it just being like, "Holy shit!" for the '60s, but you un- you get it because yeah, it's like the way it's directed, the way it's done. You're like, okay. And like I said, you know, you're watching a fairly straightforward drama, and then you see that, and you're like, "This, this is not a drama." This is not. This is a much yeah. different film than I. Than I this is not a dream. This is really happening. This is right. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Yeah. I think we've pretty much pinpointed the best moments of this film. Uh, I'll whenever. think of something while I'm like trying to go to bed tonight, and I'll be like, "Ah, oh, fuck." <laughs> I will. I will say on a your scene, Austin. I remember when I was watching it because I was watching on my iPad. Because until I get my damn TV, I'm kind of using whatever screen I got. Yeah. Um, I remember when I I saw that and I was like, did I just miss something? And I had to rewind. Yeah, me too. Did I miss something? I rewind. I was like, holy shit! I never realized the two creepy fuckers were running behind me in the background. Yeah, Yeah. I don't remember that the first time I watched it. That creeped me out big time because you know I've talked about in the past. You know, the the, one of the big moments that freaked me out as a child was signs when the alien walks across in the background. So this kind of had I had a moment of like. Things walking in the background that you're not supposed to be there. Ah. So I'm still standing by for therapy on the signs up, so just so you know. It'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> oh, great. This was a great pick for Halloween. Yeah, uh, I think it's funny that this is the show that came down on Halloween this year, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> not our horror show, but the Oscar show. But well done. Yeah, yeah, horror, horror's uh, you know, always gonna be represented across the board at anything that filmgasm does. Uh, just you just can't hide it. Can't can't hide the passion, the love behind. You know, horror's always been like, like rap and jazz to me. Rap, you know, hip hop and rap and jazz are two of my favorite musical genres. Sometimes it's fucking shit. Sometimes I can't stand it. Sometimes I get really frustrated with the 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 same tropes over and over. That's how I feel about horror. Sometimes I'm like, what are you doing? But God, I love it so much. (laughs) I love it with all my heart. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about, you know, is the omen versus the exorcist. Like I could talk about that all day. That's my favorite place to be. Equate horror with pizza. When it's good, it's really good. But even when it's bad, it's still fairly edible. It's fine. I, I, I will always finish the slice. <laughs> yes, exactly. I will always see it through. I think that's because, yeah. like, 
for me with horror, right? Like what I've always loved about it is that it's such a like we talked about. It's a very it's a very genre, and a lot of times someone even like a bad horror film can be fucking entertaining as shit. I've seen yes. plenty of horror films. And I'm like, you know, this isn't good, but I'm entertained as shit, and I've watched it multiple times. So like horror has you know, with that in the community around horror that you don't really give a lot of the other genres, yeah. it's just a fun genre to be in and to love and really endorse, you know, like, I'm like you know, you guys have seen me with all the shit, I've, I'm like falling over everything I fucking have to points on my body, like, it's just a, it's a genre that welcomes you in if you're willing to accept it, yeah. and, and it doesn't charge you or anything, it says, look, as long as you like, like me, you're, I'm cool with you. That, that's what horror is. Yeah. Horror um, is friendship. Yes. Yes. And it will be back on this show, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Oh, yeah. Uh, not next week, though. <laughs> <laughs> next week is, uh, is uh, you know, episode 75, which is crazy to think about. We've done almost 75 of these bastards. Uh, we have, uh, you know, every fifth episode, we do a Best Picture Showdown. So next week, is in fact the 93rd Academy Awards. And that's when, you know, Nomadland won just last year. So Connor and I will be discussing that best picture group. Of course, Nomadland, The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. We're going to rank those movies, talk about them, have some fun. We'll give awards out to Nomadland. So yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, Come on back next week. The reason we chose it is uh, because Chloe Zhao's Eternals also comes out next weekend. So we wanted to kind of pair them together. The two different ways Chloe Zhao can, can work is, you know, this very Oscar textbook movie and Nomadland and then, you know, uh, a Marvel movie. So going to be a fun weekend. I can't wait. Yeah, I, uh, I do. I will argue next week that it it's far from textbook Nomadland, but we'll get to that. Um, okay. Yeah, well, I think I think Nomadland is when you watch it, you're like, oh, this is what the Oscars are hoping comes out. They're hoping that they can give a movie like this awards, great performances, you know, incredible cinematography, really cool directing, uh, and just just incredible characters, incredible writing. So I think they want that to happen. Do they always give it out to the best one? Of course not. No, I don't think Nomadland is the best movie from last year. You know, who's to really decide that? But it is a very good movie, a very good movie. And I think the Academy wants more movies like that in their best group. And I think they're always trying to, you know, trying to find their way to them. You know, I I think there's been some in the 2000s and 2010s that you could put in the same realm as Nomadland. But I, I know what you mean. I think textbook Oscar bait is, you know, like, fucking you know uh the irishman like yeah, yeah, dances with wolves yeah like mm. just like what are we doing you know just yeah. like kind of nonsense drama that just doesn't matter yeah usually oh. some kind of epic or a period piece lots of period pieces yeah what i do like about last year's nominees though is how diversified they were and how different they were and i like yes. that and yes. there's some movies in there that i fucking adored and i get i'll get to fully defend that uh next week uh yeah um, I Fantastic. This week on uh, the Filmgasm podcast on Wednesday, uh, we'll be covering The Descent, one of the scariest movies of all time. So cool. So excited for that. Um, oh, yeah. What's tomorrow? 
Tomorrow's sneak preview is a horror triple threat. We'll be covering uh, Last Night in Soho, Antlers, and Paranormal Activity next of kin. If you're looking for Army of Thieves, pick another podcast. We don't care. It's it's actually kind of sad that Paranormal Activity, I care more about that than Army of Thieves, and it's currently getting pretty eviscerated by... (laughs) You know what? Six Paranormal Activity movies. I'll give it this. I was never nearly as bored as I was when I watched anything by Zack Snyder that wasn't Watchmen or 300. So I'll watch Paranormal Activity first. Yeah. And I've I've, I've seen Antler, so give me my opinion on Sunday. Uh, Fantastic, everybody. Uh, This was fun. Happy Halloween. Hope you had a good one. Hell yeah. Uh, And we will see you next week.